Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is, what's it, what is today? It's Tuesday the 19th, December 19th, and we have a fantastic show geared up. I just feel it in my heart that this is going to be one of those uh, interviews that I'm really going to enjoy. I think you guys are going to also really enjoy it. We have Douglas Mackey joining us in just a little bit here, and we're going to be talking live on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. If you're somewhere else, go ahead and get there. If you're watching us on Instagram, you are now on our first Instagram stream. We're going to be talking to Douglas about memes, about shit posting, about the federal judiciary, and about the debasing of our judiciary as it decides to go after what I would say is a pretty clear violation of a free speech principle. We're not supposed to go into things that are First Amendment protected. That's not the case right now. And this story has been on my radar since it first broke that the DOJ was going after it. So I'm very excited. I learned about it when I was an FBI agent, and I'm now following it as a guy who just does a podcast. I'm just a regular guy sitting here in a chair talking to human beings and getting their story. So you guys stick around for that. I want to front load and talk about our sponsors real quick. We're going to uh, thank them for all of their support. It really is because of our sponsors that we're able to do what we do, talk to the people we talk to, give you the stories that we're able to give you. So let's start first with my friends over at Catholic Vote, who are now running the Catholic Prom King nomination service. This is a Catholic Hero of the Year. It's between me and Mark Hout. That's a pretty good uh, company to be in for me. Mark Hout, the pro-life dad who was out praying in front of an abortion clinic and decided that you can't say nasty things in front of his child, sent the guy to the ground, pretty clear self-defense type stuff. There was some instigation going on. We've already re reached the maximum number of votes that we can do for Catholic here of the year. If you guys have not done it, you can go to vote donate.catholicvote.org slash 2023 hero bracket. You can also just click on the link. We put it in the description here for you. And uh, I'm voting for Mark Hout. You guys vote for who you need to. Uh, I won't tell you what to do, but I like Mark as a person. I saw him at the Police Day trailer and the, uh, the the premiere. He was in that movie as well, did a fantastic job. And his story is one where he really faced down a lot of actual evil going on in our federal government. I think that the stakes were slightly higher for him than they were for me. I lost a job. I lost a house. I lost a lot of my material comfort. He was looking at losing freedom, and he took it to a jury trial and won. So that's my pitch. You guys vote for who you need to. I'm not going to be mad if you vote for me. If you vote for Mark, that's the one that we did. And uh, we do appreciate you guys supporting Catholic Vote. You can also say thanks to our friends over at Patriot Coolers, which is sitting right here. Doug has already seen me uh, sort of sipping away, getting my caffeine proper levels. You guys can go to PatriotCoolers.com. The promo code is Kyle. It's just my name. It's K-Y-L-E. That'll save you 10%. And you can check out any number of their products, of which I have almost everything on this website. I have tumblers. I have some of their water bottles. I have two of their coffee mugs. I have three of their coffee mugs. Uh, what else they got on there? We got one of those. We got the canteen. We've got the big jug right there. I've got the one gallon. That thing is outstanding. That. You do need that, honestly, especially if you live in somewhere hot or if you live in somewhere cold and you don't want to uh, die from uh, having frozen water that you can't drink sitting in your car. Anyway, check out all of the options. These are fantastic things to find underneath your tree. They say the word patriot right on the front. They support veterans, which we love. They have given uh, almost $400,000 to support veteran mobility. And it's not a very old company. They've only been around since 2018, early 2017, or late 2017 is when they went into business. And I started carrying their stuff on duty in October of 2017 while I was a surveillance guy. So check out patriotcoolers.com, promo code Kyle. Again, it's 10% off 
and you'll get free shipping if you spend more than 50 bucks, which you're going to want to do because there's all kinds of great stuff there. Uh, let's, let's rock and roll. Let's bring on our guest. I'm going to have him unmute his mic. I'm going to give a quick intro while he's on the screen here, but I'll let him add to it. Douglas Mackey was accused, investigated, convicted, and now his sentence has been stayed pending appeal for memes. He was widely attacked in the left-wing media and the mainstream media on all different fronts. We're going to bring some of those articles on. His story is something that you should care about if you care about free speech in America. You don't even have to agree with Doug. We're going to see where we agree and where we disagree. It doesn't actually matter. In this country, you actually have a right to have a dissenting opinion, even if it's unfavorable and ugly. So, Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you, buddy. Good morning. Thanks a lot for having me on. Isn't it weird that whenever we do these shows, and I know you've done, you just did John Jr.'s show, and I do it, and people go like, "Welcome to the show," and then you're like, "Oh, thanks for having me," and and, and really, you're doing me a service because you're 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 uh, my guest today. <laughs> it's a weird. It's an honor. It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to dig into the story of who you are as a person first. Um, as, as I just kind of laid out, we're going to get to the uh, to the court case. We're going to get to the appeal and and how wild all this stuff is. But let's start with who you are as a human being. First of all, how old are you? Because this started going back quite a ways. I want to kind of set the parameters. Right. I'm 34 years old now. Okay. And how mm-hmm. old were you in 2015, 2016? That's going back seven years? Yeah, it's about 26, 27, around there. Okay. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's really important to note because men in my audience, you think about it, women, you've dated men and or you're married to one, and you know, um, when I was 27, I enlisted in the military and I was basically a very smart retard. I did all kinds of really dumb things and I surrounded myself by people who did dumb things because that's what people in the military do. Do you think that you were functioning at your highest cerebral level? Have you changed in those last seven years the way that you look at the world? Yeah, absolutely. I've okay. changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you got some forced experience that you've gone on. I, I think that's relevant. All right, let's start about who you are as a human being. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I was born in D.C., actually. Interesting. You're the last guy that was born there. I don't think they're having babies there anymore. Right. The women's hospital there, it's closed down now. Is it really? Yeah. Um, and, and did you grow up in DC or in the surrounding area? I grew up in Colorado and then Vermont. What, what made you be born in DC? What, what was your family connection to DC? Uh, my parents were working there at the time. Okay. Uh, they met there. I should say my dad was working there. My parents met there. Okay. And then you Mm -hmm. moved to what part of Colorado? Uh, outside, right outside of Denver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Denver was a different place back then. It's pretty far left now, but it wasn't back back 30 years ago. No, no. It was pretty uh, moderate to conservative place. Yeah, those California And it's grown a lot. It really has. All right, tell me me about growing up. Tell me about your childhood. I want people to get a sense of who you are as a human being. We're going to get to the point where you're sitting there posting memes and you have a a very influential account. But I think it's worth knowing, like, there's a human being behind the name instead of just this, like, headline story. So kind of tell me about growing up. Yeah, growing up, I mean, I was just sort of, really active, like to get outside, play sports, that kind of thing. Uh, I always did pretty well in school. Uh, uh, I did, you know, was always interested. It's funny. I would always uh, go get the paper, open the paper, read the paper. I, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I would read, the, you know, the encyclopedia. So my You're parents the other would give you a hard time for that. Exactly, right? <laughs> I would flip through the encyclopedia. So. Yeah, just sort of that's sort of my childhood experience. I was fortunate living in sort of these nice places where you, go, you can go outside and run around in the woods and whatever. Any siblings? I do. I have two younger siblings. Okay. How have they been affected by all of this? 
So it was very difficult for them. You know, for example, I was doxxed in 2018. They didn't know that I was uh, posting under this pseudonym, Ricky Vaughn. So that was difficult for my family. And, uh, you know, they were very upset, uh, understandably, at some of the more offensive things that I was saying. Uh, so it was difficult. We sort of worked through it. You know, we did our best to work through it. We still don't necessarily see eye to eye or, or uh, on everything, but we work through it as a family. We work through it and we try to, you know, we try to support each other now. Fair enough. All right. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's continue moving through. You said you played some sports. Any particular sports that you were um, excelling at? So in high school, I uh, soccer, basketball, and I did run uh, middle distance in the track and field. Okay. And mm-hmm. then, and what year did you graduate? I'm just, I'm doing timeline because I want people to kind of look at where this all came into effect and maybe where they were at that time as well. I graduated 2007. High okay. School. 07. And then did you go to college or no? I did. I did. I stayed in uh, the state of Vermont. I went to a small college there called Middlebury College mm-hmm. and I graduated there in 2011. Where's Middlebury? It's in Middlebury, Vermont, which is south of uh, Burlington and the Champlain Valley. It's north of Brattleboro and south of, of uh, Burlington. Exactly. What's going on in that part of the state? Anything? A lot of, uh, well, the lake is beautiful, right? Okay. It's uh, a lot of, uh, it's very windy because there's a valley and there's a lake right there. Very okay. cold. But yeah, just there's just a lot of, you know, nice farmland, basically, in small towns. That's it. Virginia, uh, Vermont's kind of a weird place. My wife and I looked at moving there at one point, and it's like a lot of kind of hippie types, but they're also kind of libertarian hippies. Does that make sense? Is that what it was? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, for instance, uh, Vermont didn't have uh, any sort of concealed, uh, it still doesn't have any sort of concealed carry law. You could just open carry, not open carry, but you don't need a, a license to carry. So they were the, one of the original, what they call constitutional carries. In fact, for yeah. a while, when I was younger, they used to refer to it as Vermont carry. Exactly. That's which, right. That's that's how far back that has gone. Now, that there's a lot of states that have adopted it, but I think they were the first, or at least they were one of the most prominent states that, that came forward with that. The yeah. Constitution is your permit. Right. And they didn't even need to do anything about it because they never passed a law saying you needed a, a permit. Right. Uh, which it's just is why, the way it was. It, it was always interesting if they had ever applied like the carry permit, like whatever the, the loosest carry uh, statutes were across the country. If you looked at Vermont, then nobody would need a permit anywhere, which was always kind of my dream. That's uh, I was like, well, they, they pass gay marriage. You have to honor what the gay marriage is in any from one state to another. It would be nice if we just kind of agreed that uh, Vermont carry was good for everybody. That's not the way it works. But <laughs> so you were there right. and, and, and it's full of crunchy people who are kind of libertarian. Did that mm-hmm. shape your the way you thought about the world at all or? Did you see those people as, as you know, were you part of Vermont or was just kind of a visitor? Yeah, no, definitely a little bit. For instance, uh, George Bush was the president. And so there was a lot of anti-Bush sentiment. So, um, I, you know, I was young, I was impressionable. So I caught on to that sort of anti-Bush, anti-Iraq war sentiment. Uh, it's been, you know, read the local papers, the op-eds and stuff. So it definitely uh, influenced my worldview. Mm-hmm. And then since we're talking politics, did you have a politically engaged childhood and adolescence or were you were you aware of it at all? Um, not really. I mean, when I was in high school, like I said, you know, the Iraq war, George Bush sort of thing uh, was going on. And it's sort of against that whole war and sort of the Bush presidency, partly uh, as a, like I said, it was just all of my environment that I was in. Everybody was sort of feeling that way. And so, I, but I wasn't overly politically engaged. 
it was just sort of loosely and I was curious, but I was open-minded. Makes sense. Let's mm -hmm. talk about, um, let's talk about internet involvement because you came of age a couple years after I did. I remember having the internet when I was in high school and it was new. Like we had dial-ups when I was in high school. Right. I could still hear the dial tone. You know, we had AOL, <laughs> things like that. You were in a, a couple years behind that. And so you had it obviously available to you when you were probably a teenager. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk mm -hmm. about your internet, it, kind of growing up on the internet and, and what that looked like for you, what kind of things you were involved in, if you did chat groups or if you were in, you know, rooms or if you were in uh, forums or anything along those lines, because I'm right. really curious how that started. Now, when I was young, it wasn't uh, actually that into like chat. I mean, we had the AOL instant messenger, right? ASL, I wasn't man. totally into that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mostly just followed sports. Okay. You know, and then as I got older, it sort of followed, I started following politics. And then YouTube came around, so you could watch, you know, YouTube videos, Facebook. Although, no, I didn't do anything on Facebook with politics. Probably but, smart. Yeah, yeah. Watch YouTube and uh, uh, that kind of thing. So that was, and then it sort of it kept, you know, evolved from there. Uh, Twitter came around, how, and nobody else on Twitter, so it wasn't very interesting. But eventually, how early were you on Twitter? Do you know? Do you know when you first started up on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I didn't really use it until 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. which, which puts you at what age? You're in your early 20s? 25, 24. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you jump mm -hmm. on Twitter and what what did you start? What was the lure of starting it? And then did that change in any way? It was just that there were some accounts that I wanted to follow. I just wanted to read. So for a while, I was just reading Twitter. That's all. And then... Uh, you know, sort of get into these sort of arguments or almost trollish sort of arguments, not even trolling, but arguments on Twitter with other people and then sort of evolve from there. There's been a lot of celebration in the left side of the media about kind of like pummeling you as a troll. I've seen the word troll and your name associated probably probably on almost every major site, ABC, NBC, CBS, all these folks. Can you describe what what the word, there it is. That's a great one. What is that one from, Ryan? Uh, this Verge. one's from, I can't, yeah, The Verge. Yeah, yep. The Verge. They, they have a bad logo, don't they? Uh, Far-right Twitter troll sentenced to seven months in prison for 2016. Like, how absurd is it that's 2023 and they're saying that? That was so my can, first search too, Kyle. <laughs> first yeah, of course. Up. And we're going to talk about search and how that has been kind of skewed against you, I think, in, in a little bit here. But let's let's talk about the term troll you know, you were involved in it early on. Do you remember, did you think of it as a trolling or was it just kind of people keyboard warrioring? Or, yeah, like, it was trolling. It was keyboard warrioring. I mean, uh, what's the goal? Say, what's the goal of a troll account? Right. So I would say at its best, the goal of the troll account is to make people think and sort of provoke them into sort of thinking. And, and you know, at its worst, I would say it's just sort of uh, provoking people for the sake of provoking them. Yeah, just kind and of being like of, an like an online asshole who just right, goes and yeah, exactly, pokes swinging people. around insults or just trying to bait people. I think bait is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you post stuff that sort of baits people into having an overreaction or meltdown. So that was a big part of it. Um, so at its best, yeah, it's like being more like a Socrates type. But at at its worst, it's just sort of slinging around mud. Okay, yeah. I mean, and that makes sense. And then where does that where does the term shit posting come into it? And folks, just bear with me. This is the nature of this conversation. So uh, if you're at work and you need to tune it down, do so. But um, yeah, let, let's talk about like what because that's what's been like. You'll literally right. see mainstream media calling you a shit poster, 
which is a concept. <laughs> I know it's been discussed, right, right, but right. not everybody, not everybody over the age of 40 necessarily knows what that is. So let, you know. Yeah. So I was a shit poster. Uh, it's basically just means you post a lot of stuff. Uh, you post stuff that's maybe even extremely, you know, provocative or offensive, not necessarily though. Um, but it's like all kinds of stuff. You might just post something cause it's cool. It's fun. Like, you know, like now we see a lot of, uh, on the internet, like a lot of funny cat videos. Mm -hmm. So it can run the whole gamut. Um, but as being sort of a, when Trump started running sort of a pro Trump shit poster, you're just kind of posting stuff either in support of Trump or to sort of provoke and bait the other side. There's a, uh, a meme that was running around at Thanksgiving and now they're doing it with Christmas. It's an FBI agent wearing like tactical gear and body armor and slinging a rifle. And he's standing outside of like a Christmas dinner where people are either wearing a MAGA hat or they're like, you know, a conservative family with the, you know, kind of the Nordic beard guy uh, who tends to have like this haircut and this beard. And uh, and, right. <laughs> and he's uh, and he's like saying grace or something like that or blessings over the food. And the FBI is standing out there. And it's like Merry Christmas from our family to yours. That's kind of a shit post. It's just poking like. Exactly. Poking exactly. establishments and institutions, kind of goading them right. on. Yeah, and that's kind of like a political cartoon. So a shitpost could be like an image mm -hmm. base, you know, it, or it could just be text or a link. And I just, I would post a lot of links just to keep people updated, you know, on the news or if I thought stories were interesting. Polls, I did a lot of polls and break down the polls. But yeah, that's a great example of a shitpost. But it's also, you know, can be sort of intelligent, can be creative. Some of these posts can yeah, be I mean, more like a commentary. Yeah, there's those exactly. are social commentary for sure. Social commentary can be caustic, can be intelligent, can be sort of low value. You know, there's a whole range. Sure. I mean, there's some really ugly ones out there that we've seen and, and it doesn't mean they're not funny, but it's pretty lowbrow stuff. And then there's some more cerebral. Right. So it can it could run the right. whole gamut and all those could fall in that category of, quote unquote, shit posting. Um, you came up with an online persona, which I as a guy who loves Major League, and I think that's one of the great like humors that you probably couldn't do that comedy anymore, right? You couldn't do, you couldn't do a major league and have the the boss dressed in the bikini and they're tearing off the parts as they win, <laughs> as as the crappy Indians like slowly move their way along. And and Ricky Vaughn was kind of right. a classic thing. So you named Ricky Vaughn. Did you love that movie, or how did you come up with the idea of doing that being your your internet persona? Yeah, I liked that movie, and uh, it was just perfect. Uh, I mean, at first I wasn't planning on posting anything. I was just like, all right, uh, well, I guess I need an avatar, you know, I guess I need a handle. So rather than just be a, a, a something completely random jumble of letters and words, uh, I, uh, or letters and numbers, I just came up with that. I use that because it's funny. Major and League is funny. And then it sort of evolved. It's like this guy, wild thing. You know, he throws fastball. He throws wild. He's a uh, loose cannon. The guy, you know, he came out of the California penal league. So. Yeah, <laughs> so you got to You got to tell people that. So first of all, iconic movie, Major League, Major League Two, fantastic stuff. Really funny. Um, like I said, I don't think they can make comedies like that anymore. I certainly don't see them being that kind of edgy. And you're right. When they first introduce him, you've got um, you've got Bob Euchre, right? Who's on the mm -hmm. he's the he's the commentator. And he's like, now we're going to be bringing out Ricky Vaughn coming straight out of the California penal league. You know, this <laughs> yeah. guy's a wild card. They call him the wild thing. And that was his name. And he had the earring. Right. Which was very yeah. kind of like gay 80s. He had the haircut. <laughs> He had the haircut yeah. and he comes out and then he just throws like wild pitches and he hits dudes and he gets into fights and he's a brawler. And that's what you chose on there. And, and you put a MAGA hat on if my memory serves, correct? Yeah. Eventually, uh, eventually somebody photoshopped a MAGA hat on there and sent it to me. So I used that. 
So you just upgraded it as people said. How how did your did you have Photoshop skills to do some of the stuff or did you? No, no I don't. Don't any, I could uh, maybe come up with a meme in Microsoft Paint. That's about it. Yeah, people would Photoshop things and send it to me. Got it. And so you mm -hmm. used and how how big did your account get? So my first account before it got banned off Twitter was 50, uh, sixty two thousand followers. 62,000, which is not a huge account, but you were getting major reach out of that for some reason. It's getting major reach. Back then, it was actually a fairly large account. Okay. People didn't like flood onto Twitter, until, I don't think, until after the election, whether pro or against Trump, you know. Back then, it was a lot, but people would be checking my account constantly, which is why I had so much reach. So people would book, whether they followed you or not, they still could, like, so I used to follow certain people on Twitter that I didn't have Twitter, and what I would do is I would just bookmark the page yeah. and you could just go and exactly. look at it and I could see whatever your last 10 tweets are or whatever. And, and then it would say, don't you want to sign up for Twitter? And I go, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. Yeah, anymore. exactly. <laughs> so people could, be, you could just it. scroll and scroll and scroll. Mm -hmm. I think that's I how I followed Andy. No, for years, actually. That's mm -hmm. how I kept mm -hmm. track of what he was at too. So you're doing this in 2015. Um, did you know specifically that you were going to lean this account towards kind of a pro Trump mean shit poster or, or did that evolve? Like how did that evolution happen where that became your, right. your lane? That totally evolved. It was 2015 uh, when Trump announced. And keep in mind, this account was small. Mm -hmm. It didn't really get really big until perhaps the summer of 2016. So it was just small. It was just a group of of of, of guys on Twitter. There, you know, knuckleheads posting stuff for each other. You know, replying to each other's tweets. Maybe you uh, bait a journalist here or there, or whatever, or, or a politician. But that's kind of what it was. And so. Once Trump announced, um, you know, I didn't, I had no idea what Trump was about. To be honest with you, I didn't pay a lot of t attention to Donald Trump, even when he was, uh, you know, a massive celebrity. So, of course, the first he announced, he was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then, uh, then he actually starts gaining some traction. You start looking into it and people are like, oh, no, actually, you know, his platform is actually really interesting. You know, this could be good for the country. Uh, he's gaining a lot of traction. And so I actually thought that, you know, this guy would be the president, like August of 2015, just the way he was connecting to people and the way that he was sort of starting to dominate the Republican primary. Did the uh, the backlash of sort of mainstream kind of the re uh, situation, did that did that affect any of your thought processes? You saw people sort of lose their minds over him, too? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I thought that he was provoking, you know, all the right people. And you know, to be quite frank with you, a lot of these people, I think they don't like the country. They don't like America and sort of seeing this kind of wave ripple across the country really pissed them off. And this was where some of the more offensive bait posts of mine come in, some of them, because these people were saying, oh, this guy's the worst ever. He's going to be, you know, Hitler 2.0. And then you kind of feed, we, uh, you know, I would kind of feed into that their paranoia by sort of baiting them. And then they would sort of melt down even further. So, well, and, and none of the things that have been alleged that you posted are things that you've run away from. Like they were pretty obviously posted to your account, right? That wasn't part of your, that wasn't part of your defense, as far as I understood it. Right. Yeah, we're not denying anything. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Intention is very different than what was actually up there. It's like, yeah, of course that's my post. It's just you have no sense of humor. <laughs> was kind of the was kind of the take that I've taken. For some reason, the mainstream media seems to have zero sense of humor. That's about right. Any of this stuff. Yeah, and they they take it out of context. Also, how know? surprising was that to learn that people just didn't understand that it, a joke was a joke? Well, I mean, so this cancel culture thing goes back 
a lot further earlier than people thought. Uh, I'm trying to think who it was, but uh, this goes back into the early uh, 2010s. So I knew that this was how they behave. You know, I knew that this is what they do. I knew that this is sort of, you know, exactly what they do. So that was also part of the, uh, you know, the baiting, the trolling, which is, you know, that we got a lot of people who are really extremely self-righteous, sort of holier than thou types. And so you can sort of bait them and poke, poking at their sacred dogmas, you know, a lot of their, uh, you know, their totems, their golden calves, whatever, and poking at them because just because they were so self-righteous and they didn't even really know how to argue their own position other than saying, I'm good and they're bad. You know, that's how they argue. They don't know how to form a coherent argument. They just said, I'm morally good. The other side's morally bad. And that's it. Would you say that is the origins of the, uh, the orange man bad kind of, it, because that in and of itself is a troll. You're boiling down what they said to such a dumb level that it sounds absurd. And yet that's what they said. And I think all of us kind of had that instinct. Were you guys pretty aware of that's where you were going? Oh, with yeah, this? absolutely. Absolutely. And that's sort of a, a base level response, you know, and you don't have to think it's an unthinking response. So it can be programmed into a large number of people. Just that psychological Pavlovian reaction. You know, when the, the dog hears the bell, it drools. When the person who's programmed sees, you know, whatever Trump on the screen, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's that, it's that simple. It's that low level. It's like orange man bad. Mm -hmm. Did you have other accounts that would dogpile on the stuff that you'd put out there as they, I see this in my experience. I'm fairly new to social media, so it's really weird to me. But if someone says something really either inflammatory or nasty or direct attack on me, I'll just, sometimes I'll just share it. <laughs> like I'll just retweet it and let everybody who's following me take a look at it and, and break that person down. And was that going on in 2015 too, since I didn't follow at that point? Oh yeah. I would do that all the time. Like, uh, retweets. I mean, yeah, you, you know, it's like they say retweets are not endorsements, right? So you retweet stuff all the time that someone said, or someone was trolling me or whatever, just retweet it so that everyone sees it. And, and you just expose them. Stupid. Yeah. You expose them to a big right. audience. That was a big part of Twitter. Absolutely. That's a great part of Twitter, to be honest with you. I mean, People see not that maybe not the the nasty stuff piling on, uh, you know, but that people sort of can see everything that's going on. It is uh, it is very open, and uh, yeah, if you decide to put mm -hmm. something stupid in your bio, and then you want to go engage on somebody on a, a different pool, there's a lot of puddles, I would say, of Twitter, right? There's, right. Everybody's kind of playing in their own puddle, and when you step over in the other puddle and you find yourself outnumbered by a lot, sometimes that's where the most interesting. That's probably the most rewarding interactions, I think, even though yeah. They're not good for humanity, probably. Can we agree on that? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's like it's over the line. I mean, that's the founding father said. It's like that, and and the Supreme Court has repeatedly said that the public discourse, it's not preschool, it's caustic, it's you know, it's a lot of uh, you know, and people have the freedom in this country to step over the line. Like I said, well, to be honest with you, there's a lot of people now that they want the public discourse to be like preschool. And the teacher tells you what to say and what you can't say, and that's it. But that's not what the founding fathers had in mind. That's not what the Supreme Court has ever had in mind. Let's talk about what your understanding of free speech and understanding of what you were doing at the time, maybe versus now looking back on it. What, how did you understand American discourse to be? And did you think that you were safe doing what you were doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought it was, yeah, I definitely thought it was, you know, legally safe. I mean, I was not posting any threats 
death threats, anything like this, any sort of obscenities, uh, you know, obscene sort of illegal content. So absolutely, I thought it was safe. And this was Twitter back in the day too. Twitter was very open. I didn't censor anything until 2016, late 2016. So it was sort of understood. And people understood that this sort of give and take, this back and forth, and that people are not always, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of innuendo, there's a lot of bait that's going back and forth on both sides. So that was sort of my understanding of Twitter. You know, now, you know, when I was at trial, I said, you know, I posted certain things that were offensive, that were over the line, that were in bad taste. And I regret doing that, you know. However, this has nothing to do with my prosecution. It's it's just a distraction. And uh, that was sort of the this Wild West atmosphere that was going on back in those days. Yeah, and this was also a program or a, a platform that didn't seem to have a problem having a bunch of child pornography on it, which we've heard over and over again when I was joining. That was kind of the thing. I want to I talk about some of the interesting allegations that were made against you, because I think those are the most fun, being able to sort of debunk and or agree if they have some certain points. So I want to go to the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is uh, kind of like the Holy Roman Empire. It's none of those things, but it is the name that they have chosen for themselves. It says jury selection started today in the trial of 33. Obviously, you're now 34, 33 year old Douglas Mackey, a man who prolifically spread hate and politically charged disinformation under the pseudonym Ricky Vaughn during Donald Trump's political rise. So I'm going to pull this onto my other screen here so I can look at it better. There we go, folks. All right. So the Justice Department charged Mackey with election interference. That's actually not what I remember them charging you with. You can let me know. But I thought they charged mm -hmm. you with conspiracy against rights. Isn't that correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. OK, you're right. A accusing him of a conspiracy to spread misinformation designed to deprive individuals of their constitutional right to vote. So they don't even know that's not election interference. That's conspiracy. Very different animal. Um, the DOJ levied these charges in connection with a November 16th stunt, 2016 stunt, rather, that uh, Mackey engaged and encouraged people to vote for Hillary Clinton by text message disseminated in an online flyer, and it featured a black person in front of African-Americans for Hillary Clinton, urging voters to text their votes. Nearly 5,000 people fell for Mackey's ploy. I feel, is that true? Did 5,000 no. people actually tack that? I thought we found out that was actually false. They did text it, but... Um the DOJ went around interviewing these people and the people that texted the number overwhelmingly, they've actually voted. Or if the D if the FBI actually got a hold of them, they would tell them, yeah, I don't even remember text this number or, and some even said, no, obviously I know that you can't text the vote. Like I'm not stupid. Uh, probably a huge chunk of them were your followers anyway. They were people on the conservative side. I have to imagine. Yeah, exactly. it's not like, it's not like that was yeah. getting viewed by Hillary Clinton voters in no, an algorithmic no. boost. So what happened was, uh, you know, this was a very, actually my account at the time, because it was my second account, only had like 12,000, 14,000. Very few people saw this tweet. What happened was uh, the BuzzFeed wrote an article about it. So we looked at the timeline and most of these people are texting the number after BuzzFeed and Wired Magazine are writing about it. And then, you know, it's spreading around on the other side of Twitter, you know, liberal side of Twitter. They say, oh, my God, this is horrible. So 
nobody or very it was only like 100 or 200 people actually texted the meme before buzzfeed covered it so organically it got very little view and then they did the dry stand effect thing where they were like clutching the pearls oh how dare he do this horrible thing he's taking hillary votes and that's when it actually started was it after the election out of curiosity because i know this no, there's not a lot of time in november to, to do that text right so the 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 meme was, I posted the meme November 1st, and there was another one with Spanish language November 2nd. Okay. And then so, when did the majority of those texts come in? Do we know? They came in um, close to those dates, right? Because they were suspended. My Twitter account was suspended. I mean, the, like I said, the tweet got almost no traction. And I, I, quite frankly, I didn't think it would. I thought people would just laugh at this and then move on to the next tweet. It's like, this is one of dozens of tweets, retweets, you know, every day. So... I was surprised that people took it so seriously. I was surprised that they were kind of pearl clutching over it because I thought it was obviously a joke and I didn't expect it to really go anywhere. Now, yeah, and then, yeah. So most of the tweets happened like, you know, after November 1st or 2nd, the election was on the 8th. So yeah, actually some texts did come in after the 8th, you know, after the election, not that many, but there's no evidence that anyone actually thought that this was, uh, this was, you know, a legitimate way to vote. There's no evidence of it. And this was a criminal case. This is not a civil case. They were coming and saying this. This was a criminal case under the Civil Rights Division that they were alleging that you had conspired to deprive people of their rights. And I just want to remind my audience, the burden of proof on the government, by the way, you don't have to prove that you're innocent. You're assumed innocent. That's the way our system works. The burden of proof is they had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. There could be no doubt, no reasonable person could doubt that you had deprived people and conspired to deprive people of your rights. What was the defense that your team mounted as you guys came into court? Right. No, great question. So actually, uh, the government doesn't have to prove that a single person was deprived of their rights. Because they did a conspiracy charge. So this is the, this is the, the dirty charge. trick. You want to talk about the difference experiencing a conspiracy charge versus saying that they actually uh, that you actually deprived people of rights? Yeah, so they don't need to prove that anyone was deprived. They don't need and they so what they do need to prove is that there was an agreement between two or more people mm -hmm. and that there was a specific intent to deprive people of their vote. Now, they had zero direct evidence that I agreed with anybody else as part of a conspiracy. They had zero direct evidence that I intended to deprive anybody of their vote. What they did was they went and dug up these DM conversations and they said, look, this person in the DM thought that people would fall for this. This other, and they actually found the group which I was not even a part of where the people were designing and creating the memes. And so some people in that group we're like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. You know, all the shit libs are going to fall for this. I mean, that was I, like, I, this, yeah. I remember, I remember mm -hmm. the term shit lib coming out there and people being like aghast again. It's the same thing. It's like that's how people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a, a, a so, you know, that's a someone somebody said it at DM, and so that was their evidence of the specific intent. But that's evidence of those people's intent because these memes were spreading around. Thousands of people were making these jokes. Not even these memes. The memes that I shared, I found them on 4chan. They were not even the same memes that were in these DM chat groups. Right. So they and, had and zero specific, they had zero evidence, direct evidence. They just had to say, well, just, and they did this at their closing argument. Well, just look at it and it's obvious, you know, just look at the meme. It's obvious. They just point at it and say, come on, we all know what's going on here. It's obvious. Well, there's no direct evidence. There's no specific evidence that I agreed with anybody. And then for the intent, 
they never said, oh yeah, uh, they had no intent. They had no evidence of specific intent. What they did was just say, well, look, he said this bad thing here. You know, he, he must hate women. Uh, he must hate black people. So he's guilty. He doesn't want them to vote. That's, that's instance, like a, said, yeah. Character assassination was essentially right. their, was their, uh, their power. Sometimes they're actually supposed to be limited on that. Let's, let's, uh, bring up some of the allegations that were against you. Cause I think some of these are fun. Media matters did one. Uh, I, I got a media matters piece against myself a couple days ago. So I'm kind of excited about this. Um, this one says who wrote this Alex Kaplan, same idiot that wrote about me. So this is even more fun. Uh, so Doug, this is the story. Um, and I don't, have you seen the media matters piece or do you tune some of this out? Yeah, I've seen that one. Okay, good. So Donald Trump Jr. tells white nationalists that he, quote unquote, may be my favorite Twitter account of all time. Trump Jr. to Douglas Mackey. We've probably gone back and forth on Twitter back in the old days and DMs, he says, which apparently, um, you know, now you should be canceled forever. This is uh, Media Matters purpose. That's what they do. They uh, they interviewed you. You're an anti-Semitic white nationalist recently convicted of election interference. Do you want to respond to any of that? Are any of those things accurate about you? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that in that headline is inaccurate just to begin with. I mean, I mean I'm not a white nationalist, but I actually was not even a white nationalist back in those days. What is, a, mean, what is a white nationalist uh, as you understand it? And so maybe as I understand it, a white nationalist, um, I mean, I guess there's different types, but some of them think that, you know, this should be a white only country mm -hmm. and that, or that, you know, people that are minorities shouldn't have rights. Or okay. whatever, that kind of thing. I feel you know, like I Richard never... Spencer at that time was like kind of the quintessential version of that. He was out there kind of doing a neo-Nazi routine. He's actually walked away from that as well. But you remember Richard Spencer in 2015, 2016? Yeah, I actually did an interview with him. So he was actually, uh, uh, yeah, he would call himself like a white identitarian or whatever. And it was not exactly clear. Yeah, what the, what the differentiation there is. Right. What he stood for. Uh, you know, I didn't know what, you know, some people were like, you look, we have to deport you know, everybody who's not white and stuff like that. But I, I never, you know, I never agreed with that. I never said that. So why did they decide um, that you were a white nationalist, do you think? Well, I mean, to be to be fair to them, I mean, I posted certain things that were inflammatory, that are offensive, you know, that I, you know, as I said, like, and my attorney released a statement, you know, I regret posting, you know, some of these things, some of the sort of dozens or, or, or hundreds of thousands of, of tweets and retweets. So they this uh you know they took the offensive stuff and said well he's a white supremacist he's a white nationalist all this kind of thing so i mean it's a nuanced sort of thing but you know it is what it is you know it, I, I like i said i've changed it, a lot since uh since this happened you'd have to i i, I kind of liken it to the thing i've got an uncle who is uh, famous for sending me like a bunch of softcore pornography which i don't really know why he emails that but he's like he's like one of the last guys on the like the right wing AOL forwarding outposts. Like he's the last guy that didn't get the word that like the like AOL's over. So he's still sending things in like all caps. Like you know this guy. Like everybody's got somebody like this in their family. And he's sending all caps. He's sending me like jokes about golfers and jokes about dudes who are frustrated with their wives and like pictures of women who are naked. It's just, it's just like a slew of things. And some of them will be like, you know, racist <laughs> black jokes or like Jewish jokes. And every time I read them, I kind of go like, that's just what my uncle does. Like, he's just that uncle. He's the uncle that sends me this. I don't know if he believes in it. I certainly wouldn't like say like this is his 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 deep darkest feelings in his heart. He's mm -hmm. just a guy that just has like a varied taste of kind of bad taste in some jokes and whatnot. And I'm guessing that you're saying that these like some of the jokes you guys made were like mean to Jews, mean to blacks, because <laughs> because that was literally what your account did. It just did 
inflammatory jokes, some of which were inappropriate, probably. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So yeah, but but to say that that is the the core of your identity is is a very different thing. To dis- decide that because you made jokes about either Jews or blacks or anything else, which by the way used to be very very common in the '80s when I was a kid, like that was sort of the inappropriate humor that everybody had, like it or not, and we were pretty free back then. <laughs> like that, right? And, and, to, and to, to say be, that that defines you yeah. as a human being, it's like oh, I heard that guy once make a black joke in a in a locker room, right. you know. And Next to, to his buddies fair, who are black, who are baseball players, was the butt of these jokes, you know. Right, there used to be Pollock jokes that yeah. I recall when I was a kid. I mean, and there right. were like whole books of like filthy Pollock jokes, and you go like, "Oh, I know a lot of Polish people. I don't, I don't know." But then yeah. like you, one of your friends who has a Polish, like hence his last name ends in Ski, would be get, would like be telling you the jokes because they're the exactly. ones that have family members. Exactly. Like, it's really yeah, weird. exactly. It is sort of like a freewheeling environment. I mean, for for better or for worse. I mean, things have changed for better or for worse, um, but Feel- that's right. That's I think you, you're right. Feels worse. What about the anti-Semitic claim? Are there? Do you have some deep-seated feelings about uh, Jewish people in this country? Well, no, I don't have any uh, sort of you know prejudice or bigotry towards Jewish people. I mean, there's a lot of great Jewish people that are helping me on this case. You know, I have friends that are Jewish people. So no, oh, and you got do you like Jewish lawyers or Jewish paralegals or something are working on your case? Is that what you're getting at? No, not necessarily. I mean, all kinds of different things. I mean, yes, I think some of the lawyers do happen to be Jewish, but you know, I have supporters. People say, you know, I'm, 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 I'm rooting for you, donors, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that as a Catholic and as a Christian, we always have to be charitable to others. And so, I regret, you know, that these posts were not charitable, and so that's why I wouldn't make them again. You know, but so what the media wants to do is sort of have it like I said. Well, you know, they want you to apologize for your all of your political views and say, well, now I'm going to go on tour now and go speaking and say, I'm the most liberal person left wing in the world now. And that's quite frankly, you know, that's not me. That's not what I'm ever going to do. You know, I'm never going to sort of go around and groveling, which is why I think that they keep coming out with these hit pieces, because they think that if you are sort of on the right or you're a supporter of Trump, or even some of these other candidates like DeSantis or Vivek, then they think that you are sort of a prolific hater. So, I mean, that's sort of why they just keep coming out with some of these hit pieces that quite frankly are just rehashed. I mean, the first hit piece- there, There's, there's no new information. Yeah, none of these things are new. I, I keep reading them and it's just like- right. It's the same the, words they're banding them about. But to be fair, I just want to kind of hone in on your actual sin from the political right. left, which is that you liked Donald Trump and you were irreverently in support of him. And then everything else gets to be kind of like piled on. They want an apology Very tour, irreverent. but but the the apology tour is not because of yeah. anti-Semitism. Like they're not asking you to go to synagogues and give speeches, although they would probably love that. And they don't need you to go around to like black churches and tell them that you, you know, mea culpa and kiss boots. What, they really want you to disavow Donald Trump, it seems like. That's the real crime, which is why they this is why they did an entire hit piece on you because you went on his son's show, which is also just very tasty to me. Yes, that's exactly right. Oh, sorry, my headphones uh, came out. T- t- take your time. That's exactly right. I mean, that's I think that uh, and we've seen some people do this. I'm not going to name any names. We people have, have seen gone on apology tours and say, I don't like Trump anymore. Uh, sorry, biggest mistake of my life and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, they're going to call you all kinds of names, white supremacists, white nationalists, um, all these kinds of names they're going to call you if you don't sort of bend the knee to them. 
Mm -hmm. And even, you know, it's funny. Some of them do. Some people do go and apologize. And then the, the, they'll cover it and they'll be like, well, he says he apologizes, but we're not we can't really quite be sure. You know? Yeah, we don't. So, we don't. I mean, it's not like it actually buys you any credibility with these people. I'm right. thinking of Jenna Ellis right now, just because I saw her tweets before we started, and she's out there, you know, talking about how Donald Trump Jr., who's been very nice, uh, he was really nice to engage with. I don't know if you enjoyed being on his show too, but it was kind of. Oh fun. yeah, he's extremely engaging. He's, he's like a regular dude in a lot of ways for a guy who grew up as wealthy as he did with the name that he did. Uh, we had like some regular dude conversations in a lot of ways. He drops a you know an f bomb when it needs to be dropped and that kind of deal. <laughs> he's just he's just like a regular guy. Jenna Ellis was was highlighting something in a tweet that I saw this morning before we went live. And she said something to the effect of, you know, it should be noted that he's a paid Donald Trump spokesperson. And when I was a paid Donald Trump spokesperson, I was speaking on behalf of Donald Trump and not myself. And my my and I and I don't know if I actually sent the tweet or not, if I was thinking about it. But what do you call that when you sell yourself for something that you don't believe in. For me, I was imagining women who are willing to take money to pretend to be your girlfriend or to pretend to love you or to pretend to have feelings for you in some kind of way. Let's call it nicely an escort, like a digital. <laughs> are you are you a digital? Like you only get to do that for a little bit of time before that's pretty much permanently associated with you. And I don't have any grudge against Jenna Ellis, but like looking at what she's doing, it does seem kind of gross. It's not buying her any credibility on the left. And if you had done the same thing, did, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did tweet it. There you go. Uh, here's my actual tweet. Let me read it to you, Doug, since, <laughs> since we're talking about tweets here. I said, if you're a spokesperson for someone you don't agree with, what should we call you? You only get to sell your honor once. You should choose wisely, I guess. Um, you know, if she didn't agree with what what she was doing with Trump, like that even speaks worse about her in many ways, I would think. And the fact that you're holding to your principle, I, I kind of respect it. And also, you're putting jail time on the line to do this. It's not pr jail time, prison time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it never crossed my mind. I've got to do this kind of groveling. Uh, so, you know, some people go out and they hire, you know, quite connected establishment uh, Democrat lawyers. Or know, PR firms, right? Or PR firms, and they do this whole thing. And look, uh, I think that my testimony at trial was very honest. I think that the statement that we just put out is also very honest, which is like, yeah, uh, this was a long time ago in the past. And I regret saying that, they, you know, I regret the tone and substance of some of these posts that were just over the line. You know, they say, I don't think that I was the, uh, you know, they say, oh, he's the most prolific spreader, whatever. I don't even want to get into all that, right? <laughs> I regret the tone and, and substance of some of these posts, but that doesn't mean that sort of I um, just sort of don't, you know, I think that we have to be careful in this country that, we can debate ideas openly and then we can talk about ideas openly. I mean, now you want to say, well, don't say it in a way that pisses everybody off. Right. But we need to be able to talk about ideas. I say, well, if you believe in this or you argue this, then, you know, you're just a, tor a terrible, horrible, awful person. And then this is what sort of where we get into this sort of cold civil war of going back and forth where we're at now. And it's just, it makes it very difficult. And the recriminations and the cancellations and everything else and you know, I think that a lot of people are moving beyond that. I mean, it used to be a, like the end of the world. So, I mean, when I got doxxed and Huffington Post came out with this hit piece on me. What were the, de the details? What were the details of the doxing? Did they put out where you live specifically or address or anything? Um, not, I mean, they just general, like where he used to work, where he lives, 
Um, Enough that people could find. You know, out. they 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 try to you know harass your parents and get them to make give a statement. Um, so that was a big deal, and a lot of these cancellations were super devastating, just because the media had this giant megaphone, and the people would sort of bend to their will. But I'm seeing now where people get quote unquote canceled, but they're not really canceled. I mean, they are really sort of able to bounce back. The difference is that. Whereas on the right or even in conservative or whatever in general, if you said one bad thing, they would exile you forever. You know, this is back in the days of like National Review is like the holy Bible of conservatism or whatever. But now I think that a lot of people understand, well, either these things are exaggerated or it doesn't make you a horrible person, um, that kind of thing. Or even just that, you know, people say, things that they don't even mean or when they're younger or they say politically incorrect things. We don't need to crucify everybody for this stuff. And I think people realize that. So I've seen several people just in the last couple of years get um, sort of doxxed or trashed in the mainstream and they're able to bounce back. So that's encouraging. Yeah, at some point people won't remember your name for this. So they'll go, oh, they'll go, oh yeah, weren't you that guy that had this thing happen? Let me let me dig into the free speech aspect of it because I think you said it earlier. I think you said it in a very nice way. You said that the founding fathers believed that our speech uh, could be caustic, that that's maybe what happens in the public square. I'm going to say it in a slightly different way because this is the way that I think about it. I'm a former enlisted guy and someone who dealt with law enforcement dudes and you know people who carried a gun for a living. One of the ways that I always say it is that you actually have a like a fundamental constitutional right to be an asshole in this country. And I, and I firmly believe that. In fact, my father, who probably is listening to the show right now, uh, used to give a speech. And there's a framed version of this speech. Well, maybe he's only given this one time, but I've seen it a million times. It's him standing in front of a crowd of people. They were all broadcasters. And he started off with kind of an inappropriate joke, like people used to do to grab attention, the icebreaker mm -hmm, piece. Mm -hmm. This is a very 80s, maybe late 70s speech. And he said, what's 18 inches long and hangs in front of an asshole? My tie. And, he goes, and then it, it goes on. He goes, I know you guys are out there. I can hear you guys breathing. So he, I mean, I've seen that written in written form a million times. And we used to know in this country that that was actually a fundamental right. And it was even worse in the 50s and the 60s, I'm sure, 70s and 80s as I you know, came online and started being aware of it. You can be an asshole in this country and it's allowed. It, like there's not a justice system that's supposed to come after you for that. And you experience the exact right. opposite. It, it had to have been staggering. Did you did you think they were joking when they came at you the first time? You know, it's crazy. I actually, because Joe Biden had just been inaugurated, I know that they could sort of, you know, there's this guy, Harvey Silverglate or something like that, who wrote this book. He's sort of a legend. Three felonies a day. Yes. And the whole premise is that, you know, every the average person goes around and commits three felonies every day without even knowing it. So I kind of knew that this is what they can do, that they can manufacture. And I knew that I was sort of a public enemy to these kind of people. So actually, it's funny that I wasn't even that surprised. You know, it's, it's actually, kind of sad. That's actually really disappointing. That's the saddest thing. It's disappointing. Thing, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Talk about the timeline, because I think people need to know about this as far because you guys have discovery. You know, when they started the investigations and so on. You talk about when it was started and then why you think it progressed when it did. Right. So it's really interesting is that uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, she blew up one of these tweets Love on a her, giant whiteboard and put it on the floor. And this might have been 2017. Well, I didn't even know about this until after the fact. And she's just staring at it and like pointing at it. And she's berating sort of the FBI said, 
look at this. This is a felony. Look at this. Look at this. And then it's like, so the investigation, I don't think formally opens up until 2018. And so, so they took that under advisement. And they took it under advisement. And then I think after I was doxxed, then they open up an investigation. They knocked on uh, the place I was living at door in 2018, in the fall. And they, of course, asked a completely unrelated question. Like, have you ever, you know, what do you know this guy, this specific guy? And I said, um, you're going to have to talk to my attorney. You know, I didn't have an attorney, but I got one. And smart, then, really smart. Um, so they were dealing with the attorney now. Uh, well, so I never talked to the FBI, you know, which a lot of these people go, they go, oh, yeah, I talked to the FBI. The FBI says, okay, no harm, no foul. And they, everything goes under the, under the bridge. That right? wasn't going to happen. Sweep it under you. the rug. What was the division that was investigating you? Do you know? Like what, what area? Of the yes. What's interesting is that they didn't run this. It's a civil rights case, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't run this through civil rights division. Mm -hmm. So it was a New York FBI, the New York field office. And then it was run through public integrity. They did not even oh. run this through civil rights. And, and for people's awareness, public integrity is the public corruptions unit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which also handles elections. However, you know, with a case like this that so implicates civil rights, you would think that the civil rights division under Trump would actually have a say now. The charge, because the charge specifically, the, the charge specifically was... That conspiracy there is against rights. conspiracy against rights, which is a civil rights violation. Right. Yeah, exactly. We get into the, the text of the statute is really interesting. Never has covered deception in the history of this country. The text says you cannot injure, intimidate, threaten or harass uh, or oppress, excuse me, somebody in the exercise of their right. So, for instance, you and I cannot go and beat the crap out of someone on their way to vote. I mean, obviously, this is obviously a legitimate This is like law. old school, like Chicago political machine stuff. Where they'd be like, yeah, it'd be a real shame if anybody was uh, yeah. not going to be able to make it to the polls today because I'm breaking your right. kneecaps. Like that exactly. kind of stuff. It goes older than that. This goes back yeah. to the KKK. I mean, we, you know, we don't want the KKK going around and murdering people for voting, which has happened before. And intimidating, which they did as well. And Murder intimidating. Yeah, so sending a message to one whatever. person for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So this was the idea of it. The conspiracy against rights was done. Like so many things that we've seen in a post-Trump world, just like the uh, the Sarbanes-Oxley law was used to go after people for interruption of a official procedure. Right. Um, in many ways, your your case was the first shot fired in this sort of Biden administration war against conservatives. And, and I, I don't say that lightly. Like, I don't say the idea of a war against conservatives. It does appear to be a very real thing. Um, did you know that you guys were the, the, the tip of the spear on this when it started? You know, I uh, I have to admit to being even a little bit naive. Like, you know, I know I got indicted and everything, but I didn't think that they were going to do what they did these past few years. I mean, all the indictments that they've thrown around. I mean, you talked about in your pre-show, Mark, Mark Houck. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly how you say his name. Yeah. And what they did to him. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The DOJ actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they charged Mark Houck with the, violating the FACE Act. Correct. Right. But they also charged him with conspiracy against rights. Same exact statute that I was charged with. Yeah, it's a catch all. So this is a liberal prosecutor's pipe dream. It's been a liberal prosecutor's pipe dream for a long time that we can use this statute to crack down on the right. They've long wanted to do this. I mean, I mean, it, it you know, 
It's interesting too, right? Because the Supreme Court just said there's no federal right to abortion. So it's curious how they can convict someone of, uh, you know, conspiracy against rights for protesting or even blocking an abortion clinic, whatever they were doing. Um, yeah, so, I think the FACE Act probably has some review that is required under a constitutional, and maybe some of these people will, will appear yeah. it up that way. That'd be really nice to see. It's an extra, I had never thought that point. So I appreciate you kind of, that's, that's an interesting thought to add to the mix. But the, the weirdest thing about conspiracy mm-hmm. for me, as someone who used to do federal law enforcement, is that it it hinges on your intent. And I would argue, uh, both as a as a lifelong Catholic who I've never been inside anybody else's mind. I don't know if you've ever been able to capture somebody's mind and see the way that they think, but I haven't. <laughs> it's really, really difficult for me to say what intent is and to be able to prove it to other people right. is even weirder that what I, I can believe that you had a certain yeah. intent, but I couldn't look at your tweets and, and decide why. And if I said, because I used to do this all the time, I go interview, yeah. hey, why did you do that? Hey, you just did a threat or you just said something that was menacing, you know, and you and I would get these interstate threat cases. They'd come down the line and they would go, uh, Kyle, Doug just tweeted out, you know, uh, we're coming for you mm-hmm. to the mayor of his town. That we're taking that as a threat to life. So I'd right. call you up because I'm not going to drive out there for that. I go, hey, Doug, you just said uh, we're coming for you to the mayor. What did you mean by that? And you go, oh, I'm, I'm running for uh, for office next year. I've filed my paperwork. We're coming for him. We're going to get his job. That's Case exactly closed. right. Yeah. Case closed. I don't know what your intent was by looking at it. I can ask right. you. You can tell me. It sounds reasonable. If I ask you, hey, did you mean to deprive uh, Hillary Clinton you know, voters of their right to vote by this tweet? And you go... No, it was a joke. And right, I would exactly. Go, That's the most obvious explanation. It looks like a joke. Yep. It's on a forum where you post nothing but jokes, some of which may be inappropriate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless, you, unless you have a political bias, which is what we've seen. Right. That's exactly right. Now, this gets into the perversity of the prosecution even further because what happened was they took this case into the Eastern District of New York. And why so they have to... So, well, that's a great question. So... Apparently, I don't know exactly what's going on with because it's the New York field office, right? So apparently the Southern District either laughed this prosecution out, they don't want anything to do with it. Who knows? Which, by the way, that in and of itself is wild because it's one of the softest places for prosecution for the federal government. Right. Southern District is like, oh, you want to get a terrorist? You want a guarantee to get them? Go to Southern District in New York. There's three soft seats for federal prosecution, which you may already know. Southern District, Eastern mm-hmm. District of Virginia, and the District of D.C. Those are all captured areas. Eastern District is not on my radar. It's obviously a Democrat area, but still, it's not the one that they go for the top three. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And so it's curious in and of itself, but there's no connection uh, for this case to the Eastern District. I was not in the Eastern District. Okay, so no you, didn't live in, you didn't live in Brooklyn. Did not live in Brooklyn. Okay. Zero conspirators lived in the Eastern District of New York. Okay. Now, the DOJ also was not able to prove that anybody viewed the meme in the Eastern District of New York. They were not able to prove that anybody in the Eastern District of New York fell for the meme okay. and didn't vote or so, even. So nobody was victimized. And usually what has to happen for this to be the case, you either have to have the victim or the perpetrator be directly associated with the district that you bring the charges. Right. And that's not the case. Exactly. And I don't know what they thought. I was thought I was just going to roll over and, and, and plea out. They did. But, uh, just to be fair, that's what they think. Yeah. That's what happens 98% of the time. Right. I think they're probably surprised by the whole, the whole you know, everything that happened. But anyway, um, 
So here's what they said. They said we they proved that the tweets had to have gone over the wire or through the air over the Hudson River or the East River. And the Eastern District shares jurisdiction with the Southern District over the waters surrounding Manhattan. Therefore, we can bring this case in the Eastern District of New York, which is really sort of unprecedented. Uh, this would set up if this case uh, is held up in court, this venue argument that is setting a precedent in and of itself that sort of if they can prove that tweets go over wires, then they can prosecute this case wherever they want. They can drag a conservative into D.C. Where did you live at the one. time? Were you living in Manhattan at the in time? Manhattan. Exactly. Okay. Manhattan. They can drag a liberal into Wyoming, whatever, Eastern District of Texas, whatever, you know, or it's really um, jaw dropping. And venue was written into the Constitution because Americans were being dragged to London or wherever and being prosecuted by the crown. So that's exactly why they said you can only be prosecuted in the district where the crime was committed. Now, there are some cases of like drug dealers and stuff where you make a phone call to your connection from New York to Florida. Mm -hmm. So if you're in New York, you call your drug dealer, uh, whatever, your drug connect down in Florida, say, yeah, send me the drugs, whatever. Then they can prosecute you in Florida. But they can't prosecute you in every state that that phone call right. went through. Right. We're not going to trace the wire. And so just so folks have an understanding of this, when we talk about interstate jurisdictions, a lot of the things that the FBI would have jurisdiction on interstate threats, which you just mentioned, that was a fictional idea. Someone actually did say, I'm coming for you to a mayor. Um, and I actually did make that phone call and asked why. And I actually did get that answer. So that's not fictional. But, you know, the idea, idea of you being involved in it. Mm -hmm. But the reason that the FBI has jurisdiction on a local person making a so-called local threat is because they post it on the Internet, which means that it goes over wire, which makes it an interstate nexus. That's what they call it. Mm -hmm. if you guys are if you guys are new to the show. The concept of an interstate nexus is that there is a reason for a federal authority to touch it, even though it happened within the state because it was posted on the Internet. It could be viewed all around. In your case, you're posting memes. Those memes are on the Internet. That means an interstate nexus. That means the federal <laughs> government can get involved. But so interesting that it's kind of a canary in the coal mine for both free speech, which I think is definitely part of it, but also for jurisdictional selection, which I did not realize. Right. And, and when we talk it about is. a police state trying to overexpand its powers, man, they don't do it by accident. They didn't accidentally choose your case. It sounds like that was a very specific movement that they were trying to make a, a precedent set there. It's very concerning. And, you know, we're going to see what the courts say about it. What because, is the yeah, absolutely it's extremely concerning if to, it should be to every American. I mean, this is why, you know, you know, CNN or whoever does these hit pieces and it's like they're kind of missing the point. This is not about whether you love me or hate me or whether you agree with everything I said or whether you hate everything I said. This is about every American's right. It seems straightforward. That's why the ACLU used to defend Nazis. Right, exactly. That was actually a liberal value. They were like, exactly. hey, we don't like what they say. We don't want them marching anywhere, but they have the right to march. Mm -hmm. Because if, if the crappiest opinions can't be shared, then all opinions are somewhere on that spectrum. Right. And we don't want that spectrum mm -hmm. to be even be analyzed. The federal government is supposed to be agnostic about speech, whether they like what you said about Jews or blacks or Hillary Clinton voters or anybody else or Donald Trump. Like, so what? <laughs> like, the answer should be. What's the federal nexus? And if it's interstate wire and right. our and our belief that we're going to get into your head that you were conspiring to destroy 
some people's ability to go vote because they're too stupid to know that yeah. they can't they can't read, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we actually had some requirements that you had to be able to at least know how to vote to be able to vote that if you were swayed by a meme like that actually is a disqualifier. It's like, sorry, you fell for the trap. Like you can't vote. You're yeah. too dumb. You're actually a liability more than for the guy who made the meme. It would think. Right. I mean, the sad thing is that nowadays in 2024, it might actually be more believable because you have this mass mail and balloting. They're setting out ballots, you know, to everybody. And, you know, some of these houses are getting 20 ballots in the mail. So I, I registered last to vote in California because mm -hmm. I lived in outside of Los Angeles in 2007, I think. I think I was, med I think I, I think I registered in 2007 and I still get a ballot sent to my last address and I've emailed them and I've called them and they said, you need to go and get a sworn notarized affidavit. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. To get off the rolls of, of being a voter in California, which I right. have now lived since that time. I lived in Texas, where I was stationed for military service. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in um, New Mexico, yeah. official residence. Then I lived back in Texas. Then I lived in Virginia. Then I lived in New Mexico again. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in Arizona and now I live in Texas again since right. that time. And I'm still got, a, there's still a mail-in ballot with my name on it that was just mailed out. Yeah. I get I get notifications. They're like, we just mailed your ballot. Like. Hey, right. Are Have you, you ever gotten to see if they, uh, I've never seen one sent. We just look like we, do we get a freeze right there, Ryan? Yes, sir. He is frozen right. and I probably can't hear us. So you might want to reach out to him and tell him to log out and yeah. log back in. Let me show him a, a quick little DM here. We'll have him do a reboot. Got it. Um, I, I want to, you keep need doing to film that Kyle. That'd be awesome that? to film you recording that. And, uh, you know, like you pulling out the ballot and trying to get it. I can't the get the ballot. There, there is no ballot. I'll show Sorry you. Sorry about emails. that, guys. Yeah, no, that was perfect. You just did a great job. I was just about to DM you and tell you to, to come back in. Um, and, and you didn't miss anything. All, all I'm saying is it's, it's amazing to me that that is not considered a threat, that California as a state, the Secretary of State, will not take your name off the voters rolls without me going through a bunch of rigmarole. Right. And I also was told that after three presidential election cycles, then I would be removed anyway. And so we had the presidential election cycle of 12, of 16, mm -hmm. of 20. We are now coming up on 24. We've gone through the three. I'm still registered. I still get emails from like people in Glendale saying like, hey, I'm running for office. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't care. Of course. And if yeah. someone filled it out, then you would, you know, you could come under investigation for voting. I would love that. That would make me nothing, nothing would make me happier <laughs> than that. Because it would be amazing proof of how stupid their system right. is. That's right. why they'll never do it, right? I don't know if they'll do it or yeah. not. But I, I, every time I look, I cannot find a anyone has ever used my ballot but somebody gets it in the mail every year every two years which is right. sort of incredible for a place that i haven't lived you know since 2009. yeah yeah you want to talk, now, you wanna talk yeah, about they don't even ask you if you want the ballot they just send it to you you want to talk about being a different person in 2009 i was unmarried i was a single guy who had just enlisted in the military and today i'm the father of four i'm a canceled fbi agent and i've you know i'm an honorably discharged veteran so like that's wow. a pretty big that's a pretty big life gap and i know you kind of must feel the same way eight years is a long time particularly in your 20s and early 30s uh the, the sort of the change that you've had over and from talking to you correct me if i'm wrong here but you don't seem like the most extroverted like looking for trouble kind of guy Maybe online, but it doesn't seem like that's your your personality. No, it's not my personality, but I would say that uh, you know I don't you know I don't back down, right? Which is why which is why I'm where I'm at, you know, in this case. Uh, so yeah, you're right, absolutely. I'm not the you know I'm not the most loudest, the loudest you know most outgoing guy ever. Why uh, why do you think you don't back down? 
I don't know. I think it's maybe just, you know, in the blood. I'm not exactly sure. I just, I, I always felt like, you know, you got to stand for what's right. And I think that's part of being an American too, where I mean, even, you know, growing up in the nineties or whatever, I can remember people would say, well, you know, it's a free country. You know, once say, you know, the little kids at the playground say, why don't say something? And another would say, you know, you can't tell me what to do. It's, no, a free it's country. like, can I play in the jungle gym too? It's free country. Yeah, that too. Exactly. Can, can I have your meme? I had someone ask me the other day, can I take your meme? I was like, it used to be a free country. I think so. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what it is exactly. I mean, it's just, I don't know, the constitutional or, you know, or whether it's just sort of how I grew up, but that's, you know, that's sort of how I've always been. You offhandedly mentioned that uh, you have a Catholic upbringing. Are your parents Catholic? Actually, I didn't have a Catholic upbringing. Oh, okay. I uh, became Catholic. You were, talk were you talking about my up? Oh, you became Catholic. All right. Tell me more. I want to know. Yeah, no, I became Catholic back in uh, 2020 during COVID. Um, so I went through the process starting in 2019. So I had a sort of a, like a more like mainline Protestant background and, and upbringing. But, you know, going through everything that I did back in 2018 and 2019, which was extremely difficult, uh, coming down to Florida, restarting my life. And I just had this sort of spiritual moment where I kind of, came to God and uh, joined actually the Catholic Church. And why was that luring you in? Um, well, I think that uh, dealing with all these hardships is sort of have to lean on something greater than myself and also just sort of learning how to deal with adversity and struggle and suffering. And so um, just through sort of prayer, it was how I, you know, I sort of re- uh, came back to being a Christian, right? And then sort of doing my own research and looking into sort of what, uh, what church to join. I just uh, was convinced that the Catholic Church was sort of the the original church, the, the, the true church. So that's the church that I ended up getting confirmed in. It makes sense to me, but I'm biased. I, I grew up this way. I, I had it easy. Um, let me ask you this. What did you think when I exposed that story about the FBI going after Catholics in Richmond, and obviously it's it's many other field offices were involved as well. Right. What, I mean, that's shocking. How did that hit you? I mean, that's crazy. That was shocking. I mean, honestly, what it really makes you think is, like, you, you know, you go to the parish or whatever, or you go and hang out, uh, you know, to, you know, maybe you go to the Holy League or whatever, and you're thinking, well, are the feds sending in, uh, you know, conf uh, informants, confidential informants? You're like, what's going on here? This is crazy. I mean, you would think this would happen, of course, in like, you know, we've seen this sort of repression in the Eastern Europe, you know, or even in like Mexico, it's, where they've it's, cracked down. It's just, it's shocking. You never would think that would happen in America. It, it's what I remember thinking about um, when we think about what was going on in like East Germany which was really aggressive only because it had a border with West Germany where freedom was. And they were like, aha, like you, we will not allow you to be free. Like where's yeah. the papers, right? Like th that, that's the memory I have things like spy game watching. Um, I just mentioned the other day on a, on a show. So I'll do it again. But uh, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt in this kind of great cold war drama. And like, you see, like it was life and death back then. And they were sussing you out. And if you had religious, you know, if you had religious feelings and you were willing to practice a religion, like you were a potential problem for the state and the idea right. that we would have the idea we'd yeah. have that in 2023 america is so like it's a mind job on me 
Right, exactly. And, and especially when you look at some of these purges, which they're not regretting from the military or whatever, they're just trying to think, come up with things that correlate with being on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Like so, you know, if, uh, if a federal officer or agent or whatever doesn't want to get a vaccine, they don't want to wear a mask, you know, they go to church regularly. Well, maybe we should force them out because these are all, you know, indicators that they are threats to the state. These are proxies. That is shocking. That's what we are seeing. Exactly. Yeah, they're stand-ins, they're proxies. And and we actually had whistleblowers come out and say the same thing about what me and Gerald O'Boy were doing. It's like they basically determined that military service and that, um, that uh, the idea that you would have certain beliefs, uh, a religious affiliation, mm -hmm. were literally stand-ins for conservatism. And right. conservatism is apparently the enemy. I mean, yeah. How, how do you even square that with the way that we grew up? Yeah. I, I, like even even yeah. with a decade yeah. between us, we're we're about eight ten years apart. So how do we square that in this world? Well, you'd think that we'd want law enforcement agents to have some agency, to have some individualism, to sort of have a sense of right and wrong. You know, these are not necessarily supposed in America, at least. You're not just supposed to be sort of an, a, a robot, automaton, arm of the state. You know, you're supposed to have sort of a conscience. But this gets back to what we said, or what I said earlier about the preschool. And some people don't want that. They don't want people thinking for themselves. A lot of people, they don't want, you know, independent agents coming to their own conclusions or, or making trouble. They want the preschool. The teacher tells you what to say, what to do, what's good and what's bad. And also in preschool, you have the good kids and the bad kids, right? Mm -hmm. If you're the bad kid, uh, they want to put you in timeout and segregate you. And the ones that, you know, there's the good kids over here. And I think that this is what we see a lot in, in society where it's just people want uh, the America to be like a giant kindergarten rather than a country of free people, free men and women who sort of have this sort of sense of freedom, a sense of liberty. That's what's being extinguished in a lot of these cases. It's just, and that's the sort of Soviet aspect to it. It's funny that uh, I think it's I think it's my buddy Dan Bongino that says the pussification of America. I don't know if I stole that from him, if I'm misattributing. So uh, correct me in the chat if you guys know that that's a Dan thing. But I'll call it the infantilization of America, which is very very accurate to your preschool idea. Right. They they don't want people thinking and. Just to affirm what you just said, I'll just use some therapy talk because that's what my wife's profession is. I'll, I'll, to affirm the thing you just said, they actually don't provide a lot of agency for people in the FBI. You're not empowered to go do the right thing. In fact, one of my buddies who was a Green Beret, and I don't think he listens, but uh, but he could. Uh, sometimes they do. He uh, he got written up because he reached out to a source. The source said, hey, you know that bank robbery that just happened? By the way, that's an FBI thing because the FDIC is involved. So FBI crimes like bank robbery. You would think that if somebody reached out, like a source called you up and you were an FBI agent, and they said, I know the guy that just robbed that bank and I know where he is and I don't know how long he's going to be there, but he's there right now. And he called me up, which he called one of his other buddies in the area, and they went out and they effected an arrest of a known bank robber on probable cause based on what was going on there and then brought the guy in. And of course, he had, you know, like the gun from the from the robbery and the money. And they were like, they were literally like divvying it up on a table kind of deal. Yeah. If you went and arrested a bank robbery right after a bank robbery that you have jurisdiction to arrest on, he got written up for not uh, clearing it with an ops plan and not getting together a SWAT team, whatever else. This is a man who's like killed people on three different continents, you know, and is and is just like pretty capable of violence, brought him into custody yeah. with no with no danger. 
has arrested far more dangerous people in far more dangerous places, you know, and and he got written up for it. That's the that's the FBI that we're actually dealing with, which is also infantilization. You, you can't look at yeah. your person. They're not giving agents agency. In fact, they no. are that do you no. know that actually that's where the term special agent comes from. Right, because you're you're given some sort of uh, leeway. Sorry, you're Can given you it's special yeah. agency. If you're a special agent, it means you are mm -hmm. not a full agent of the government. A full right. agent of the government is like Joe Biden. It's a right. Secretary of State. They are able to make like big sweeping deals. A special agent has narrow jurisdiction and, and authorities. So, as a special agent, theoretically, my credentials used to say that anything that involves a federal crime or like the United States may be a party to is something I can investigate. You would right. think that I'd have the agency to do that, but you don't. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then they're using it on guys like you who are out there saying, "Hey, I just want to exercise my First Amendment right." I may want to say things that you don't like. Turns out, America, you're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. What did, what does this cost you financially? If you have any kind of idea, have you been able to put a number on it? So personally, I put in you know anything I can, any money I can in this case. Uh, but I am completely unable to finance this case by myself. So I'm very truly fortunate. Uh, the American people have stood behind me. Um, do you know what your, what your legal defenses run in this case? It's, uh, over a million. Okay. And what is the, this point. what is the motivation of people kicking in on it? If they've told you, cause I'm very curious about what, what sparks people to, to throw money into it. I think it's the right thing by the way. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Right. So a lot of people feel like the principle of it, a lot of people, you know, know me personally. And then it's like, well, you know, I kind of like this guy. He's not a bad guy. And then there's people who are like, well, you know, they really uh, had a lot of fun back in the quote unquote meme wars days, mm -hmm. you know, and they remember those days. And yeah, it got a little spicy. It went over the line at times, but, you know, people have fond memories of that. So they want to kick in money. Do you, so, get, do you get any of the people that are like the old school liberals, the the guys like we're seeing the Matt Taibbi's, the, the Michael Schellenberger types that say, I disagree with everything you said, but I would mm -hmm. defend your right to the death to say it, that sort of thing, that that mindset? Do you get any of those? Yeah, I believe uh, as Glenn Greenwald, I believe he spoke up about this case. Some of them, there's a couple of them. I'm not sure about the donors, if we had any of those donor types. I don't think so, but I could be wrong because, you know, some people donate anonymously. Of course. Yeah. Right? And I, I'm just curious if they've actually mm -hmm. expressed it. But but you are seeing a minimal amount of these. Very sort of minimal. Left, right. Very small. Very minimal. I mean, there are guys like uh, uh, this well, yeah, a New York Times guy is an election expert, Rich Hassan, I believe is his name. OK. Who has said that, uh, well, maybe this should be a crime, but we don't have a federal statute God, criminalizing this. They're yeah. they're abusing the statute that exists. I mean, look, it's one thing if you have a, a statute on the books that says, look, it, you cannot spread disinformation or whatever about an election within 30 days, which is actually a law that Barack Obama tried to pass in the Senate and failed. Now, that might pass constitutional muster. We don't, don't even know, know if, if it would. would. Yeah, I don't right. know if it would. We don't not. even know if it would. Exactly. Now. So, fo so folks can understand the way this plays out because most people don't understand the federal judiciary. They've never been exposed to it. I'm, I'm guessing you have a much more nuanced take on it at this point. But the yes. uh, the original uh, district that they bring, the, they are alleging the facts of the crime. That's what mm -hmm. you're arguing, the facts, which the government was, was it a jury trial or was it a, a bench trial? A jury trial. Okay, so a jury, theoretically of your peers in a place that you don't live, in a place that you didn't commit their alleged crime, 
uh, I guess has been convicted of. So they've, they've, they've decided that you were guilty of that. And then you get a chance to appeal it. And in the appeal circuit, what we argue is the law, whether the law mm -hmm. was appropriately applied. And it's a procedural argument, whether the, the government met its burden, followed process properly, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you're at right now. Um, yeah. Ryan, Ryan, do you have the ability to throw up a, like a Google search where we can just type in uh, Doug's name? Well, I would point oh, out we are actually right arguing also insufficient evidence. We are arguing insufficiency of the evidence. Okay, so you're even able to they didn't, argue some of that. The evidence was, like I said, these other people in this DM group thought that it would trick people out of voting. Well, that's fine, but they didn't They didn't um, indict any of those people. Okay, we're going to show the search. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's just so relevant. So let's let's get a taste of this. Folks, this is what government censorship, this is what people like actually Schellenberger and Taibbi have kind of made the argument about. When, when the government owns the means of, of this sort of censorship when it comes to your search results, everything here, convicted, convicted, uh, seven months. Go ahead, keep going. That's a sentencing. These are all coming well, from notice, October. Notice, too, how the government always takes the very top. Yeah, right? EDC, They're going to get the first uh, two, and then it goes woke. <laughs> so as we run through these so-called trusted names and news, keep keep punching down through there. What I don't see any of them is that that you were successful on appeal. And I had to dig a little deeper. We actually pulled up the article from uh, Post Millennial. So, Doug, I want to read from that because it actually took me specifically typing in appeal and I think the word success or something to that effect to be able to get, you know, all these things are literally smear jobs on you mm -hmm, until we get mm -hmm. down to breaking. Uh, this is on December 4th. Federal appellate court sides with Douglas Mackey in meme case drops prison sentence until after the appeal. And that was signed by a, a judge who is on the appeal circuit, but he's a, he's a district judge for the district of Connecticut. How did, how did that all happen? How, how did that go that way? Yeah, so uh, we filed, we we were denied bond, which was actually kind of surprising in this kind of a case with a seven-month prison sentence to be denied bond. We were denied bond at the district court level. It was also a little bit surprising that the government opposed. However, you know they kind of have to um, do what's best for their case, right? They don't want to admit that these are debatable issues. And, and, and that you're not a, like a massive danger running around yeah. in danger. Of well, they actually admitted, they admitted that I wasn't a danger. That's they just said, well, this isn't debatable. You know, this isn't a close call. Did you, so did you spend surprise. time behind bars? No, I didn't. So I was, you know, besides when I went to the, you know, the, the, the courthouse, I was at a holding cell for two hours or whatever, Okay. or an hour, whatever it was. Um, so I had a, I had a report date which was January the 18th. Mm -hmm. The district court denied bond pending appeal. That was a surprise on this kind of a case. I mean, this is not a drug case. Right. This is not a murder case. You know, this is not a danger. Uh, and they admitted that I was not a danger, to be fair. But they said this, this is not debatable. So we did go to the appeals court and say, and, and move to stay the appeal, which basically just means that you don't have to report to prison you don't have to, um, uh, you know, uh, be sentenced. You don't have to carry out the sentence mm -hmm. until after the district court, uh, the, the appeals court decides. So we filed our brief, the government opposed, and then we filed a response. That's how it works. You Do you think the government overplayed cuts. their hand by not giving you bond? Do you think they actually kind of worked against their case in that, in that matter? Yeah, I believe so, because this, any kind of thing like this, you can, you know, sort of get the ball rolling momentum you know if they had just said yeah it's fine we could be a well now they have, you know there's a little bit of momentum the judges are looking at this so 
it, it went looks, to the appellate court. It, it, mm-hmm. it looks prejudiced right before it goes to the to the appeals court. So like it's already it's giving some imminence to right. what needs to be done. And I would also add that they did have to even admit certain things at the oral argument. Interesting. They had to admit that this was not a novel prosecution. They also had to admit that uh, venue, the doctrine of venue, it does evolve. It's not so cut and dry. For instance, we have the internet, we have phones. You know, so this is how the doctrine of venue evolves. Because back in the day, you're not going to be placing a phone call. And then, so you can be tried in multiple districts, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we argued that this was debatable on the First Amendment, on due process, because you can't be prosecuted for a crime if no reasonable person would expect that this was a crime. So obviously, you know, if I steal something from somebody, even I might not know the exact federal statute, you know that you're committing a crime when you're stealing something from someone. This is not so cut and dry. And we argue, and this is the doctrine of, of, of notice, a fair notice. You have to be on fair notice that you're committing a crime. The third, and then the third issue uh, that we argued at the bond hearing was venue. That they did not, uh, th- this is, it, like I said, it's not so cut and dry, it's not so black and white, but t- t- typically these courts have to find substantial contact with the district. Mm-hmm. for a case to be upheld on venue. And so we argue that, no, there was no substantial contact. They didn't prove the case for venue. Just because a tweet goes over the wires, over the water, or under the bridge, <laughs> it's, it sounds funny, but it's true. It's exactly I know, but it's, just, it's, it's yeah. such a strange thing. Like, and, and this is why I want people to listen to what that is. It's like the things, that, the minutiae that they're mm-hmm. hanging their hat on in order to establish even where this went down where they even decided to try the case is debatable, which is what you just shared. I mean, exactly. It's, it's it's a shady movement. And why would they choose that when, as we said, Southern District is actually very favorable to government prosecutions, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, and did those prosecutors laugh it out? Did they go, hey, this is this is a dog shit case. We're not going to do this. I, you that can, raises even more questions. You, you can literally take uh, a case that is... <laughs> that is stronger than this in front of a reasonable prosecutor. And they just go like, if this guy's not going to plea, then we're going to drop, we're going to decline prosecution. It's a waste right. of our time because right. it, it looks bad for them to lose. They don't want to lose. Yeah, exactly. In this case, they could not drop because they invested a lot in it. Yeah. The DOJ, the higher ups, the new ones that Biden put in were invested in it. The new U.S. attorney was invested in it. It's like they couldn't drop this case. There was no misdemeanor that I could have pled down to. You know, they some don't, people say, oh, I'll plead to a misdemeanor just to make this go away. You know, what if they'd offered you that? Any thoughts? It's possible just because of the time and the expense, because a misdemeanor is quite frankly, it's not a huge deal on your record. You know, okay. so it's possible I could have pled down to a misdemeanor just to make the whole thing go away. But there's no question in my mind to ever plead to a felony that I didn't commit. I mean, that's ridiculous. You might, a lot of people, unfortunately, maybe they're charged with 10 felonies. And so they do plead to a felony that they think that they didn't commit. And a lot of people plead to a misdemeanor mm-hmm. that they don't think they committed because it's not a big deal, a misdemeanor, uh, especially when you're looking at the time and the effort and the investment to win or to win an appeal on a misdemeanor, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Where were we at? So, so yeah, yeah we, we were at the here's district the thing. court. Yeah, and we talk about this all the time, folks, but the, the amount of money and the way the system is set up is that the government has unlimited resources to go through prosecution and you have a finite amount. And what they're trying to do is put you a decision for all those chips and it's either all in or not because that's what happens if right. you decide to go against the government. That's that's why so few people challenge it. That's why there is such a high plea out rate. So I don't want people right. to necessarily walk away with the idea. I, I wouldn't say that having a misdemeanor on your record is no big deal. It just is not going to materially affect you. And it may save you a million dollars in legal defense. That's right. It could save you millions of dollars. And not everybody can raise that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody's exactly. case is going to get enough attention. I think that's the only fortunate thing is, is they picked a guy that was such an egregious case when they went after you. I mean, it really is egregious. Yeah. Yeah. And I would point out, too, that, uh, you know, in the appellate court, uh, oh, I forgot. I completely uh, lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> no big deal. We were talking facts of the case of what you're arguing. It's jurisdictional. It's going to be procedural. It's going to be the the arguments of law, which are to say whether or not the law was actually appropriately applied. I think those are all interesting. Um, what that's are your right. What are your attorneys feeling that they were granted this particular stay on your on your uh, ah, sentence? That's what I was going to say. So this this kind of appeal is not granted often. Interesting. A bond appeal usually it's like one line denied. You know, <laughs> the motion has been denied. If, if memory serves, when I was reading about this, it stated something to the effect of based on the uh, the probability of success in your appeal is what they granted it on. Is that accurate? So they did not they did not release an opinion. Okay. They just released an order. So they right. did not release an opinion. There's several factors that can um, come into play. Substantial issue raised, debatable, or novel. And this is completely novel. To argue that it isn't is kind of... You know, yeah, we, we define that term for people in the case of a, a lawsuit like this. Yeah, absolutely. So if they're if they're prosecuting someone on a novel set of facts, then then you are uh, a novel set of facts where you know you're if you win the appeal, then it's then the conviction will be overturned. Then you can be granted bond on appeal. And the idea so, that it's a novel prosecution means they are basically trying out something that has not been done before. They are using right. either a, a law in a new way or they're using a fact pattern in a new way to try to establish connection. Hence, what they've done with the sort of obstruction they mm -hmm. did with the J6ers, which was to say it was always used for procedural. It was an Enron law. Right. Sarbanes-Oxley. It was that people decide to destroy documents as they were embezzling investors out of billions of dollars. And they were yeah. like, oh, also it could be if you were trying to stop a vote and people were like, huh? But they were successful in their novel prosecution. They used it over and over again. So they could open up new precedent by with your case is essentially it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, this that's the dangerous part. If we're going to say that this statute covers the word injure in the statute covers deception because when Congress passed the KKK Act, which is what this is, mm -hmm. they also passed other, uh, you know, other uh, statutes. For instance, one was uh, fraud, defrauding the United States government. They did not use the word injure. They use the word fraud, defraud, deceive. You cannot defraud the U.S. government, deceive the U.S. government, you know. Mm -hmm. And so they did not use this 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 verb in the statute. So if they're going to say that a conspiracy to injure someone's rights involves saying something that's not true, I mean, that opens up a massive can of worms. That opens up a huge can of worms. I mean, yeah. you can only imagine, and there, the, the other, the, the Supreme Court has already has already said too that they can't artificially limit a statute, not based on the text of the statute. So, for instance, they the government wants to say, well, this is just because it was 
you know, deception about the time, manner, and place of an election. So it's saying that there's an exception to the First Amendment for deception about the time, manner, and place of an election. That is opening up a huge can of worms. And I would mention, since you're in the FBI, you would know this, or you would be familiar with this. In the 2020 election, there's a guy a lot of people are familiar with by the name of Elvis Chan. Of course. In the San Francisco office. Big winner. We're big fans of Elvis Chan. Big fans. <laughs> so Matt Taibbi published a Twitter files report on Elvis Chan. And the, there were people on Twitter during 2020 making election jokes. Some of them were completely fantastical and absurd. Like someone said, uh, I'm sitting in the ballot, you know, the, the, the elections office, and I'm ripping up the vote of everybody who didn't wear a mask. You know, these are obviously jokes. And he's sending emails to Twitter saying, um, you know, please preserve this. We're going to serve process. Yes. You know, no sense so of if, humor. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, let's let's even get more specific, because one of our favorite people at the Kyle Serafin show is Sheila Jackson Lee, the congresswoman from Texas, from Houston. Right. And she just ran for mayor. And she just went on multiple television programs, including national stating that the election was, in fact, a day that it wasn't on and encouraging her supporters to go vote for her on a day when they couldn't vote for her. So now that theoretically would be under the jurisdiction of something like this. And I assume there'd be some retroactive prosecution, even though it actually uh, she she handily lost that election. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't that be interesting to be able to open up that can of worms where an ambitious Texas based prosecutor goes, yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go after uh, I'm going to go after uh, Jackson Lee. Yeah, and I'm going to be uh, bipartisan here and say that even Sheila Jackson Lee, she has a right to privacy. I mean, I don't think that she should be subpoenaed. All of her financial records, all of her text messages, all of her emails, because she got the day of election wrong, they're not going to dig through her entire life to see if she intended to get it wrong, to deceive people or not. I mean, and I don't think they should. No, I agree with you. There's no reason why any of that should be done. And that's sort of what the egregious nature of your case is. That's why I've been following it since it, it popped up. I did. It makes sense to me that they were obviously investigating you beforehand. But the uh, the nature of the fact that it took the Biden administration to come in before they actually brought these charges for you, which happened in what, March of this of 21? No, seven days, seven days after. Oh, wow. It was that fast. They got the warrant two days after his inauguration. That is so incredible. Do they serve? Do they serve yeah. it as a as a search warrant, uh, as an arrest warrant, or do they serve it as a complaint with an arrest warrant? Do you know, they served it as a complaint with an arrest warrant. So you were mm-hmm. probably one of the first guys that experienced this. Do you know the difference between getting uh, complainted and and being uh, indicted with a, a grand jury? Are you familiar with yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Want to talk about it? Yeah. So um, with a criminal complaint, is sort of I, I could be wrong, but I just say you know sometimes when it's a matter of urgency. Or what have you? The FBI agent will file a criminal complaint that says we believe this this uh, this person did this, so we have a right to arrest him. So you arrest him. Now, as a defendant, you can move for a grand jury indictment. They always get an indictment after the fact. There's, the, I, mean, I don't know anybody that yeah, doesn't do that's that. That's what we did, and they got an indictment after the fact, and it was a bare bones indictment. Yeah, just just simple. It simple said facts. Mr. Mackey did injure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate voters in you know the exercise of blah 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 blah. So the affidavit or the the facts in support of it was much shorter. So what's interesting in your case, and I think this actually plays out as why it is such a bigger issue broadly for conservatives. You were one of the first people that I'm aware of that were arrested by complaint. And that has become the standard for going after conservatives specifically, but mostly J6ers in this case. They right. went after all of them. Um, 
when I went through the FBI Academy in 2016, the argument was made that you will probably never, you will rarely, if ever, serve a criminal complaint and arrest somebody based on exigent circumstances because the FBI doesn't yeah. do that. They do planned operations, and it is by exception only that you would go do the complaint. And the reason yeah. is, is because if you're doing a long-term federal investigation and you started it in 2018, what's the hurry? Where's the fire would be the argument. Why would you need a complaint right. when you There's can wait no to go to grand jury? To the public. It's, it's been years. So mm -hmm. they can easily do that. And they do the same thing on the J6 stuff where they are getting complaints. And the reason why they'll do it, and I'll just tip you in on this if you guys, you're probably mm -hmm. aware of this, but just so for the audience benefit. The reason you do a complaint and not go and do a grand jury indictment, which may come with an arrest warrant, is because you can also have the judge weigh in. You say, hey, I'd like an arrest warrant. I'm going to go get this guy. And they could go, why don't you just issue a summons? You can just have them surrender. But the right. arrest warrant is automatic with the complaint because the nature of the complaint is that it basically shows that there's exigent circumstances. The example is, I wrote one criminal complaint. So my buddy Steve Friend did many because he worked Indian country. He was right. actually like a cop working in a detective role, and you regularly had exigent circumstances, people that just beat the hell out of their wife, you find out who they are, you go grab them right away so they don't do it again. That's good. Right. But in exactly. my case, the only time I arrested somebody under exigent circumstances was I had a guy who was in jail, he was in county, and he was calling over and over again. We talk about interstate threats. We touched on that earlier. He was calling and leaving threats for federal judges and state judges saying, I have plans to kill them. Mm -hmm. He wanted to go back to jail for what it's worth. He was meant to right. Clearly, yeah. but he called up and, and it was actually we called him the legend. I'm, I may even have a copy of this guy's voicemail because it was one of my favorite voicemails. I would just play it on the loudspeakers uh, at the office sometimes because he would go, hello, this is Ramon. I can't remember his last name. It's not Sanchez, but like in my head, that's what he's like. Hello, this is Ramon Sanchez. Yes, it is. I I've got plans <laughs> to kill federal judges, you know, <laughs> and then he would name the judges. Yeah. He would name them off. And he was like, he was like, call the feds, call the fucking feds. That's what he said in his thing. So oh, I typed great. that up in my complaint, call the feds, yeah. call the effing feds. You know, I type it all up and I played it out for the judge and the judge is like, okay, yeah, this guy has got to go back to jail. So we yeah. arrested him that day. He got out of jail. We were trying to keep him in County. He got released. He didn't want to be released. I'm sure. Cause he was a street guy. Mm -hmm. So we went and mm -hmm. we arrested him. We put him in a holding. He went right back to County, but he was in the federal side of it holding and then he got moved uh, for psych evaluation. He went up to Colorado and some other stuff. But that's the way I used a complaint. That's the only time I wrote a complaint in six mm -hmm. plus years of being an FBI agent. Because you just don't do it. Why would you? Yeah, do that? I didn't know that. Because they easily could have just, the judge said, yeah, just go to a summons. Tell them to surrender. I didn't know that. They clearly wanted the headline. And they wanted the shock value of it. That's I right. Mean, they wanted this to go on. I mean, that night, about, oh, MAGA, Twitter, Trump troll arrested, you know, on uh, the Rachel Maddow show that night. Right? I mean, that's clearly what was going on here. There's no reason not to get an indictment. Or you could say that the, the I don't know, the higher ups are saying, you know, go bring me the head of a MAGA extremist or whatever. Oh, I love the way that right sounds, after. by the way. But that sounds yeah. exactly like what our guy, Nick Searcy, who's a great actor that was in Police State. I don't know if you went and saw it, but it's worth your time. I, I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. Um, yeah, let me know. We'll send you a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll buy you a copy <laughs> and send it to you. It's, <laughs> uh, it. He says in there, he says, you know, we want the subject on full display. We want it, you know, the whole song and dance. And we helped write some of these lines. They kind of came up with they're like, hey, we want to show that they're making uh, a display. But mm -hmm. they did. They did it with they did it with Roger Stone. With Roger. Mm -hmm. And they did it with you. Yep. Um, and they did it with you as the beginning of the Biden administration. I was not familiar with the concept that they would go and do complaints. And I didn't realize they did it as early as seven days. And they got it two days after January 6th. But that must have been 
the marching order. We can we can say this. Let me let me say it very specifically. Um, based on my training and experience and time as an FBI agent, I believe right. that that is the case. That's how I would swear to that sort of statement. It's pretty clear that uh, they've broken protocol for a reason, and the process mm-hmm. is the punishment. That's why they went with you like that. How crazy! Exactly. Man, so crazy. All right, what are your next steps? What are you looking forward to? What does the uh, new year look like for you as we as we stare down the the next election cycle? Are you are you trolling anybody? Yeah. Are you online? So I'm not trolling anybody. You know, I'm online. I, you know, I'm promoting my cause. I'm promoting my case. The next steps for me, you know, fundraising. Everybody's got to go to memedefensefund.com and donate to this case. We really need money to fund this appeal. I've uh, just the top notch. I mean, the most excellent legal team you can imagine. I'm feeling extremely fortunate, but these, you know, these guys need to get paid. So please help me at memedefensefund.com. There are other ways to donate. If you go to my website, douglasmackey.com with two S's, then you'll see uh, crypto. You can send cash. You can go to give, send, go. There's all kinds of different options to donate. So really trying to raise money. Spend some time with my family uh, this Christmas. Just had my first son. Awesome. So very happy about that. Spend some time with family Christmas. Um, and celebrate the, the the season and and uh but we're, we're focused on winning this case our brief is due january the 5th and so oral arguments on this case should be sometime in possibly march so this is this appeal is extradited uh, expedited mm-hmm. which i'm grateful for i'm grateful for the judges and the district uh the appeals court they're expedited the case so we should have an answer quickly well, and the upside is, and I think we've pointed this out, is just like the implications for speech in this country are so intense. There's really a few things in the First Amendment that are kind of sacrosanct, and your ability mm-hmm. to like engage in political speech should be pretty, yeah, pretty pretty far-reaching, I would think. So this should actually be something that leftists, not leftists maybe, but liberals and and conservatives can actually agree on. Like we don't, you don't have to like what what Doug said. Exactly. And Doug may not even like what he said a couple of years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, is, that's right. But but you still should have the ability to do that without facing jail time. And so this is a, a pretty far reaching case, right. which is why I was glad to have you on and talking about it. Um, we're, we're throwing this case me- is not about me. You know, this case is about abuse of a statue and the weaponization of a statue. And, you know, by donating to this appeal, they're charging all kinds of people with this statue. Now, they even charge President Trump with breaking yeah. the statue. So, yeah, this case is not about me. This case is, is about you know, setting a precedent where they can't abuse this, this law. Yeah. The idea that uh, the conspiracy against rights folks, if you didn't see that was some of the, uh, that was some of the pieces in the indictment of Trump. So also kind of wild, you notice they didn't go get a criminal complaint for him. <laughs> exactly. Just saying, not saying they wouldn't have tried if they thought they could have got away with it. I just don't think it would fly. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't know what you said about the criminal complaint, getting the automatic arrest warrant. Does you that, know, cha- that, does that change, change your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, make sure make sure your legal team is aware of that. If that's not, they, they probably know it, but it, it may not yeah. it may not sit as as front and center as it does to those who are in the public the way that we. Yeah, do. well, we brought it up. You know, it's crazy. We almost uh, I don't know if we almost won this case, but we almost hung the jury. They deadlocked two or three times. The judge had to read an Allen charge, which if anyone's not familiar, they say, "Look, you know, everybody spent a lot of time and money on this case. You shouldn't change your opinion." Unless, you know, you shouldn't necessarily change your opinion unless, you know, your conscience guides you. However, go back and look at the, the evidence one more time and try to come to a verdict. They had to do an Allen charge. They came back with a verdict on Friday afternoon. I mean, 
we interviewed some of the jurors when they when the when the government you know when we went over the facts of the case the jurors really didn't like it a lot of the stuff the the whole show with the arrest warrant eight to ten agents blah 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 i mean they didn't like that uh it's unfortunate that we didn't have a few holdouts you know that stuck to their principles or convictions or whatever but you know, it's difficult being a juror. I think there are great people on the jury, and I think that they took their job seriously. So we're not at all, you know, upset with the jurors. We're just hoping that the, the appeals court is going to step in here and make this right. Well, what's interesting is it, the jury doesn't know that it's so unusual to get a, a criminal complaint for this particular matter. And I think something like that hammering home, that's one of those things where when you're a defense attorney, I don't think you necessarily realize what would impact people like that. And I think my audience is going to probably sound off in comments. Feel free. If you guys didn't know that about the uh, criminal complaints, by all means, put it in the comments because I think it's worth knowing. We have to share this kind of information around. It's what's been so novel about J6, about the way they yes. use that. Because most FBI agents never wrote a com criminal complaint and they had no reason to, maybe a couple times in their career over 20, 25 years. I've talked mm -hmm. to some that did 15, 20 years and never wrote one, not even one, no reason. Wow. And right. yet now it's getting very common because we've had thousands of arrests and they were all based on complaints and they were all J6ers. Mm -hmm. So isn't that something that it's basically opened up a toolbox that was previously unused? And that's right. actually a dangerous tool. Very dangerous. Because the when show I was, arrests, show trials. That's what mm -hmm. these are. I was literally told it's like um, if we can call somebody up and say this is a white collar fraud case, this is a, you know, an embezzlement case, this is a. Uh, conspiracy case, whatever. And these people are not violent and they've already talked to us and they've got an attorney and they've already been represented. We'll just call them and say, Hey, why don't you meet me out in front of this hotel? Hey, I'll come pick you up at your office. You know, Hey, we can come do this in a, in a, a train lobby, fly in here. And when you land, we'll come grab you and we'll hook you up. And we'll take you to the car. And that's it. It's supposed to be, you know, in many ways, the FBI is supposed to be like a gentleman service of things. It's like, look, it's not emotional. Right. We're not, we're not trying to, you know, throw you on the ground because you just beat up some old lady. Like, I've been in that. I've done that. And even the guys who beat up old ladies, we, we arrested them respectfully. I literally arranged for surrenders because why wouldn't you? Right. It's like, why wouldn't you? It's easier for everybody. Yeah. It's safer. It's smarter. You're above the fray in some ways. And when they go to make the argument, oh, you know, this FBI agent is going to come testify against me. You know, he threw me on the hood of the car, did all this. It's like, no, he called me for like a week. I had a guy mm -hmm. that, Doug, you'll like this. I had a guy that that he didn't uh, he didn't want to turn himself in. We did a search warrant for his, for his house and he wasn't there. And uh, we had an arrest warrant. And it was mm -hmm. from an indictment. Right. Came back with a with a true bill from a grand jury, and, and he didn't want to turn himself in. So he, I left my business card with his roommate, and he called me up, and he goes, "Hey man, heard you're looking for me." I said, "Yeah, do you want to turn yourself in?" And he said, uh, "No, I got all this." And he starts talking. I just hung up on him. <laughs> like I don't. Okay, the marshals will find you later. He called me back right. another day later. He goes, "Hey, uh, hey, uh, are you still looking for me?" I go, "Yeah. Do you want the marshals to find him, or you want to turn yourself in?" He goes, "No, I got all this." Beep. Hung up on him. I hung up on yeah. him like a like a high school girlfriend, like three, four times. Yeah. And then about four days later, he calls me up. He goes, hey, man, I'm not trying to run from you. And I go, okay, when do you want to meet up? He goes, how about today? I go, no, I'm busy today. We could do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, right. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It shouldn't. And that should have been that's the case. That's the kind that, of bureau that we need to have. I mean, well, we, that's we what you should have experienced. Above the ground bureau. You should have experienced that. You know, That's the thing that should have happened. They should have called you up and said, hey, we're pushing this thing. Um, you know, We're going to have a grand jury indictment. It's going to, you expect to be required to surrender in the next week or two, get your stuff together. Right. And you'd go, Oh God, I better get a good defense team. I better do all this stuff. And that'd be fine. The government doesn't yeah. care. It's not supposed to. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. It's not, it's not how the system is supposed to be. I mean, everything is becoming very emotional. 
very hysterical. And honestly, that can backfire on the other side. We already see the, the Supreme Court just granted a review, as everybody knows, of that obstruction statute. Yep. So you rush to do this stuff. And then I think this can really hurt the legitimacy of the government and the, the, the FBI, the DOJ, because if they're going to rush all this stuff, well, and, and, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, and That's then right. the courts are going to step in and say, no, you know, that just vindicates what everybody's saying, and that's gonna that's gonna hurt the country. I mean, to have this sort of loss of faith is just gonna hurt the country. Think about how much money they'll have wasted if none of this stuff. It was all just decided to like go after people for the sake of going after them. Like, think mm -hmm. about how much money we will have flushed down the toilet for that. Right, and how many investigations? You know, the FBI's people don't realize the FBI is very limited. We don't have a million, two million agents, whatever. They have to pick and choose what they're investigating. So this takes, you know, investigators away from other things that are very important. Well, that could be important. I will be okay with shutting them all down, to be fair. At this point, having seen what was in there and what they do, people have no idea. But we're talking about 14,000 armed federal agents, of which uh, a couple thousand are involved in management and administrative garbage. And mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of them do national security stuff that doesn't make a difference in my experience. Um, there are arguments to be made on the contrary. There are a certain number of small number of people that actually do something of value. But a lot of it is just make work. It's people doing work for the sake of it. And right. then you got a, a small number of people doing the criminal stuff. Very, you could take every one of those 14,000 and put them all on child pornography cases and they would never run out of work. That's right. But we don't do that. Yeah. We're arresting Doug Mackey. Make, <laughs> making the world safe for democracy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By, by stopping free speech. All right. Wild stuff. Well, I hope, uh, how old is your son right now? Uh, he's only two months. That's awesome. I got a three month yeah. old right now. So I'm, I'm in the same boat with oh, congratulations. My, my, my number four. And there's nothing more fun than a baby around Christmas. So I hope you guys have a very blessed Christmas. I hope you guys enjoy that time. I know there's a lot of stress, so I hope you get a few minutes where you can wake up and not think about that for a few minutes. <laughs> it's probably, Thank you. Appreciate it's, that. It's probably very yeah. difficult. Uh, we'll we'll put Meme Defense Fund. Is that what it is? Meme Defense Fund. We'll throw that up there mm -hmm. in the uh, in the show notes. And folks, you, you guys can go and check that out, folks. And then also, the, where can they follow you on Twitter? Because I know you got updates there. Yeah, it's at Doug Mackey Case. Doug Mackey mm -hmm. Case. All at right. Doug Mackey Case. And for, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you'll find it. I uh, put the name in the show notes for today, and I also put it in the title so you can go back and look and find it right there. So, Doug, um, I do really appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for taking all that time this morning because it was fun for me to, to kind of cut it up with you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. God bless you, all right? All right, buddy. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for today. I hope you guys learned something. Number one, I hope you have a little bit of a greater perspective on what we just saw. Number two, all good things. And uh, let me say thanks to the people that keep the lights on over here. I want to say thanks to my friends over at 4Patriots. You can go to 4Patriots.com. That's the number 4Patriots with an S dot com slash Kyle or just use promo code Kyle and you can troll through all the things. Use the word troll. There we go. Uh, you can check out all of the uh, outstanding ideas. Ryan just loves coming back to my lemon bars. I really do. It's the ultimate it's the best no sales prep. pitch. <laughs> it's the ultimate it's so no good. prep survival tool. You know what's funny is after we made these, my mother sent me pictures of the lemon bars she made. Not nearly the same animal. These things last for up to five years. You can throw them in a, in a truck. If you guys get stuck somewhere where it's cold or you're without food, if you want to put them in for just... Um, for camping, for survival, there's a lot of different sort of use. I like the idea of keeping survival foods that you also alternate with your basic training, which is to say you go out in the wilderness and you walk around, you go on a hike, you go on a camping trip, et cetera. So you kind of cycle them through. So don't make them waste five years, just uh, cycle them in every couple of years. You guys got water purification options, solar power, et cetera, et cetera. Go check out all the different options and the survival food is kind of the number one thing that I think is 
It's probably the biggest thing that most people are not prepped for. If you got ammo, you got guns, you got food, you're probably going to be okay. Maybe some candles and then figure out your solar stuff. So again, for the number four, patriots.com slash Kyle. That'll get you all the deals that are negotiated out through our little deal with four patriots. And we do appreciate them. Let's uh, promote the sweatshop. I got kind of a one-off shirt on right now. I'm wearing a blue, a thin blue line in blue. I'm not sure if uh, Garrett is selling all these, but you can go to the-suspendables. That's the-suspendables.com. That's going to support FBI whistleblower Garrett O'Boyle's family. That's the O'Boyle family sweatshop, keeping his kids sweating through the holidays. My favorite shirt is that they're on the front right there. Click on the black one with the uh, with the rifle, if you would, Ryan. The, uh, the last line, own the night shirt. Kind of looks like going through night vision. I actually just sent Garrett a picture of my night vision sitting on top of that shirt. I got a uh, set of Bino night vision, folks. So check out the dash suspendables. Don't forget the dash.com. You can use my promo code there, which will save you a couple of bucks. I get nothing out of it other than I get to know that my buddy is working and that we are supporting them. And you guys have been doing a great job keeping them extra busy. They have been very, very busy. He's gotten a small breather since he came back from Fargo, but keep promoting the sweatshop. And uh, if you guys are looking for stocking stuffers, things like the pins and the patches are great. I just had a friend reach out and ask me about a plate carrier system. And uh, now I got to send him one of our patches, which I think I have. I have one right here. Yep. And remember, the Eagle is down. It's an agency under duress doing things like going after Doug Mackey, you guys. They're going after Doug. They're going after the former president. They're going after people like the O'Boyle family. It is uh, the reason why we wear the badge upside down. It is really a protest about what goes on there. And lastly, but not least, uh, you can support Mike Lindell. And you can support that by getting excellent products from mypillow.com slash Kyle. The number of you that have reached out and been one using our promo code K-Y-L-E and also telling me the things that you love at MyPillow, I had no idea. Like before I did any of this stuff, like MyPillow wasn't even on my radar. Um, I knew that it existed sort of, uh, I think my wife ended up buying the 1.0. We may have to give the 2.0 a shot. But I know my parents use the sheets. I know Steve Friend's parents use the sheets. I know a number of you guys are running around the slippers, including Ryan, who is doing construction in the damn slippers. He is out there cutting drywall and vacuuming them off. So check out those. You can use mypillow.com slash Kyle, or just use the promo code when you go to the MyPillow website and uh, we get credit for that. That's it. We got one five-star review that we're going to read for you guys today. Do we have any uh, credible, do we have any uh, required um, uh, rumble rants we got to get through too? Uh, yeah, we got one. All right, let, let's do the five-star review and I'll let you pull up the uh, review in a second here. Oh, we could do that one. Um, we can ask it. We'll ask Doug out there in a little bit later. We'll, we'll have him uh, respond on Twitter, but it asked if he can counter sue for damages or even legal fees. All that stuff is going to come much, much later in the game, right? Folks, at this point, uh, the game is, is get through and not go to prison. I think that's going to be the number one thing. All right, let's read a five-star review and then we'll shut this thing down. I do appreciate you guys sticking with us for this time. You guys can link to the uh, podcast links or the podcast reviews in the show descriptions. And here is one from DBA One Mom, who I know I've read before that looks familiar. Five stars again. Revealing what is happening is often less pleasing, but it is our reality lately, and we need to know so we can push back, get united, and be prepared. That's exactly right. That's why the show is done today. That's the specifics of it. It says, God-fearing Christians, Catholics, and all who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior must hold tight for what is coming. Always thankful and truly blessed to be in the Suspendables community, Zip. Uh, we really do appreciate you leaving the five-star reviews, folks. We are slowly eking our way up towards the 1,000 mark. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the year, make 1,000, but we are getting damn close, and it has definitely been a wild ride. We've cleared uh, almost 1.5 million audio downloads through all the podcast apps this year, which is pretty incredible because six months in, we are only at 400,000. So you guys are making the show grow. You guys are the ones who are sharing it. Uh, all of you who are watching it on all the various places, make sure you've gone to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. That's where we keep the live show and the big chat that we keep a track of, which has been bumping all day today. I'll have to go back and read it. 
Uh, make sure you guys are going there and giving us a thumbs up and sharing these videos, particularly the story of Doug Mackey. If you haven't heard um, some of these facts before, it's worth sharing. And we'll probably cut a couple of shorts out and make sure it's distributed out on socials. So thanks so much for joining us there. Um, that's it for us today. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. And we will see you again tomorrow for another Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.